This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, April 26th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. This is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by man rubs mm. rubs barbecue tools blow torches t-shirts coffee cups and all around barbecue related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on instagram manrubs. use the code steak 15 for 15 percent off your order also brought to you by stay ready gear they're at stayreadygear.com and on instagram stay ready gear usa holsters custom kydex mag carriers tourniquet carriers on and off duty gear hot melted plastic made just for you Custom orders. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Mike Lindell has now been confirmed as the best buyer of ad time, according to Donald Trump at the uh, Delaware, Ohio Save America rally this past weekend. And the pillow king of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family are dealing out massive savings down at MyPillow. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you can save up to 66% off. Check them out on the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, all things related, the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones, can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, would hate to look into those eyes and see an ounce of pain. Oh, scissor me timbers. Get all that... Ear gear taken care of down at odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into tradesies. He's got a five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger. You can hit him up via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, Backs the Blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. And a pretty fire IG. Check them out at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Dump Box. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Check out the website at DumpBox.us. Find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or via the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, our newest Substack, the Telegram, and more. And on that note, to all our friends joining us on, via the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now Truth Social. 
Welcome. Tuesday edition. Episode 129. Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. Our uh, host of the day, one of our best friends, has joined us in the chat as well. Coming back for, I think, her 11th time. I like it. Yeah. Miss Geisha Montez, welcome. Hello. <laughs> How's it going, dear? It's all right. It's all right. We're still, you know, still alive. Um, and uh, there's some food there still in the fridge. So that's good. Oh, well, that's always crucial to uh, maintaining life. That's money in the bank right there. There you go. Tuna cans. <laughs> yes. Oh. Everything's going well on your end. How's uh, New York City treating you? Uh, you know, like I said, some ups and downs as usual, um, struggling a little bit with, um, the fact that I am the, you know, the one being rejected usually for work related things because they, they want to mandate, um, to have now four, you know, injections in order to go back to work, even though there's like, I don't know, like a more than nine pages of side effects and, you know, thousands of, of pages i don't even know of evidence of how much this is not good for you but it doesn't matter because we live in clown world so i can't just you know i can just wait to see what's going to happen if they're going to lift it i hope that this doesn't become um the normal here in in new york because it's you know it's it's very controlled city um but yeah bill gates said everybody was inoculated by the virus now he said it was unfortunate that the vaccine their uh the virus is more effective at inoculation than the vaccine hmm. or something like that. Shit's over, basically. Yeah, it certainly is. It's pretty interesting, too. You live in New York City, Geisha, where people like um, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets and, and Yankee superstar Aaron Judge, who were both unvaccinated, were allowed to go back to work because everyone was getting big mad that Kyrie wasn't allowed to play at home games and then the Yankee season was going to start. And Aaron Judge is pretty much the you know, top five player in Major League Baseball and wasn't going to be able to play in home games there as well. So they drop it for those people. What is that thing that makes that make sense? Is that is it science or is that science. hashtag science? Is it science with alternating caps? I don't know, but I got rejected for the first time to work um, last week on my birthday, actually, which it was my birthday. Last week it was my birthday. It was, it was April 21st. Happy birthday. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I, I remember they were like, well, yeah, we cannot work with you. Uh, but there's a pharmacy right there. I'm like, no, no, thank you. You know, my dad just had a heart attack because of it. My dad had three um, and he had a, a small, thank God, because, you know, he's age, he had a small heart attack, uh, which is, we know, is like one of the side effects. Um, but but yeah, I was like, no, you know, I don't think it's 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 worth it. No, but you can, no, it's good. No, I'm just going to go. Um, because <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, we got a pharmacy right next door, but, um, I kind of don't want to have to, you know, like have the issues that so many people that I know are having one of my best friends. I cannot, not anymore. I can't hang out with her at all because she got some very weird neurological, um, like effect after taking it that now, uh, she doesn't even want to go out. Like she sweats, she's anxious and nervous and Oof. it's like she's under medication. And now it's been like um, three months since she can't go back to work. She's being on, on work. Um, what's it called? Like work leave um, or furlough or something or, or but sick leave. She can go back to work. And it's, uh, you know, it's like many people that I've seen and just for my, just the fact that I want to be able to say, Hey guys, I just want to go back to work. And we know that this is uh you know, this doesn't work. So why do I need to be forced to do it to, to do something? But of course it was the entertainment industry 
it was for um, on one of the their shows, like an HBO show, and um, uh, that I don't even know why it's still out, but it is. And um, they were uh, specifically asking people by zones that they have to have it. And I'm like, wait, aren't the zones related to um, hurric- like hurricanes and, and natural disasters? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. zone A, zone B, zone. And I'm like, when, since when now these zones like have anything to do with, uh, you know, they can say that there's more people or not there, but that's really um, not the case because we know it's, it's being proven that it doesn't work. So I don't know. It's just- so your friend who had the neurological issues, I mean, how, how are the doctors trying to rationalize what that was? Are they making excuses for the vaccine or are they saying that it's probably the vaccine? Oh, you mean previously undiagnosed fill in the blank? Yeah. <laughs> they are just uh, giving her a lot of medications. Um, and um, these medications, you know, are to like calm her down, relieve her from anxiety. So I don't even imagine the amount of things um, I'm very, I'm very hurt by it because we were very close. And ever since that happened, like I try to stop her. I try to like tell her like, no, you understand, like this is going to this, this and that. I try to like warn her. Um, but her, her mom was, you know, giving her a lot of pressure. They were giving her a lot of pressure at work as well, that they will fire them and everything. So, um, you know, ever since uh, that happened. I haven't seen her again. And like, she got to a point where um, I don't see her messages. Like she doesn't respond my messages or responds once, but then not again. And like, we were very close. Like yeah, I'm saying sucks. it's, it's someone that it's, it's like a uh, family of my family. And that's how uh, we became friends. Um, but it's, you know, we even had the birthday on the same day and I felt like I don't even want to like say anything. Cause I feel like you're not going to respond. Um, and like, she only has been out ever since I think it was like once and, and then has been home, which is, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very sad situation. And, um, I, they, you know how it is. She's not going to say like, Oh, it's something else. She knows it was that. So I don't think they're going to try to like brainwash her to, to tell her that, that it was something different. Well, it's like Stockholm syndrome. Like this shit happens to these people. And then like their family who you know, coerce their family or their job or doctors or whoever coerced, coerced them into get it are going to make excuses for it and try to convince them that, oh, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're still better off. Hey, it's time for your booster. Like on top of all that, yeah. like, I mean, it's insanity. Imagine. Yeah. Do you imagine if they try to like they have the audacity to tell her to get a booster? It's like, oh, well, only that. half your face is paralyzed. So we'll give you the booster to get the other half. <laughs> I know that happened with a celebrity uh, very known in in Univision. It's cheaper than she Botox. got Bell's Bell's palsy, mm-hmm. and then um, everything. She made a video prior uh, and described everything that happened to her, and she described all the side effects. And then the, they wanted to do like a press thing where she clarified that it was not because of the job oh. and stuff. because she's a very known, and she published it in like her social media that has a lot of audience. And uh, it created, you know, they try to like let tell people that this could cause hesitancy. I think that's what they use. Yeah, vaccine hesitancy. Good. I think people should be hesitant. I feel like you should just be warned, you know, like, but then, you know, they just. Well, that's what informed consent is. Informed consent is you actually knowing what can happen to you. And you don't want to just hide stuff. Just, well, we don't want to tell them about this stuff just because people might not get it. It's like. Well, it's their fucking choice. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not their choice. I mean, as we can see how the world is right now. It's pretty scary to say the least. A couple things I want to unpack there. First of all, happy belated birthday. It's better to uh, tell you on the air than it was in person. I feel like social media is such an impersonal place, but because we were going to see you 
literally and physically today. I don't know people's birthdays anymore because I don't go on Facebook, and Facebook would usually. Ooh, tell that's me. that's like the calendar for <laughs> yeah for everybody. I just like uh, <laughs> I don't go on there anymore. So happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. And then we wish your dad speedy recovery. Yeah, as well. Sorry mm-hmm. to hear that he ran into some complications, and uh, yeah. like we've been talking about for the past couple of minutes, that vaccine stuff is just still at the forefront, even though not really published in the national and legacy media as much anymore because we are heading into midterm election season with a bunch of primaries getting ready to heat up, uh, which we'll touch on a little bit later. I think one of the biggest things that that swallowed up the news cycle yesterday was that Elon Musk was finally able to buy Twitter. Um, I guess when the stakeholders and the CEO and the rest of the company, the people that have ownership in it, really saw the writing on the wall, the the amount he pitched that was like you know 40% over what the market value was in addition to the fact that he'd be paying cash and then they would have to explain to everybody how this wasn't a good business deal, uh, you know, because they just openly rejected it for fear of losing their grips on the probably most comprehensive social media platform out there, um, was able to finally happen yesterday. So right now we're entering like a six month incoming power, like Twitter out Musk in. So, you know, a lot of people are seeing some of, I've seen some of the larger accounts on social media saying they've seen changes in the algorithms or shadow ban is gone. Some accounts that have turned their um, profiles off for, you know, however long since Donald Trump has been gone or maybe before the 2020 midterm elections are starting to come back. I saw Chanel Rian was back on there. Uh, Tucker Carlson's account was reactivated yesterday. We're still waiting on the Babylon B, but um, it's going to be six months before he gets to get in there and actually clean house. So for everybody listening, it's not time to go out there and just start absolutely lighting people up cuss words and you know swearing and stuff like that because for as much as the you know whatever they do there to shadow ban people and and block people like i I went and tested our twitter account yesterday where we are shadow banned we don't show up in suggestions and unless we get like an interaction from an actual larger profile we don't get any views in regards to well i mean it's not he's not just gonna walk in and like turn all the switches like there's a bunch of vagina hat wearing assholes that are you know controlling the shit still so yeah. we got a clean house first but like when we do abandon a foreign country like afghanistan they will be burning all of the documents in the courtyard of the embassy oh of course yeah um you know at, at twitter headquarters before yeah they're definitely hiding shit right now right and probably turning stuff off so it's going to be pretty interesting to see but there was some different reactions across the news you could you could Assume from the left, it wasn't warm welcome to have someone who dabbles in conservative politics, but is more of like a play the fence moderate and Elon Musk, uh, you know, being able to be at the top of this platform. Um, CNN's Brian Stelter, who's still reeling from the loss of CNN Plus, which had a nice run of 21 days and never got as many downloads as we did, um, weighed in on it yesterday on his show. Let's hear him. Look, who knows? I, I think that's a, a that's a. That's a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is, if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules at all. Others might not want to be anywhere near that. Am I, am I crazy, Matt? No, no, you're right. And what, what happens to the advertising? I mean, if there's no moderation or little moderation, do the right. advertisers stay away? What does that do to the, yeah. the business prospects for Twitter itself? All right. Okay, so you hear the narrative they're trying to build. They're, they're making it sound like... That's uh, the end of the world. Right. Well, no, 
let's let's look at it like logistically here. They're saying that pretty much every white supremacist and insurrectionists are going to now be allowed to freely roam on Twitter saying whatever they want. You're oh, talking right. like, uh, you know, kill the president, end bombs everywhere. Like you could just think of the worst things. They're making it seem like, you know, that's what a free speech platform is, and that's not necessarily the case. It's not a hate speech platform, which is essentially what they're with their propriety in there. What do you think about, you know, first of all, the overall, the situation, and then you could see the narrative already starting to get built as we'll go through the rest of the audio clips in this segment. Well, I was looking here um, for a word in Spanish that a long time ago when I was in high school, well, no, that was in college, the, the teacher said, it's not the same libertad que libertinaje. And then I looked for libertinaje. Here it says debauchery. Is that the word? Debauchery, yeah. yeah. So in a way, um, people want to change the meaning of what freedom is on their own terms. They want to make you feel like being free means, um, uh, in, in Spanish, libertinaje is like when you are allowed to do just anything without no rules and no, um, you know, no boundaries, but that's why we have laws and that's why we have principles to guide us because we're not animals to just do stuff uh, randomly and ridiculously like this is some sort of a, I don't know, like a bush or, or a jungle. Um, and um, that's what I hate about how a lot of these media um, companies or, or networks, they, they kind of like turn off like a switch. They turn on this switch and then they all start spreading the same message over and over and then just by repetitively just tell people this about like it's a like one well, I don't want to be in, like they all say the same things like I don't want to be in this world where like all these people are free to say whatever and they just start right like spreading this weird made up fear of freedom is bad freedom is bad and it's like no this is we we live in a free country that's what what I thought that we were right um this is not uncommon to to be free to have freedom of speech it's part of our constitution um and uh and it's not what you are describing that freedom is you're describing something else um and uh it, and then again it's like I'm so shocked by the reaction of some people where they're just I don't know, they feel like it's they're just being activated to to all feel like, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, and uh, it's, it's shocking that some people are begging for the right to be taken from that. But I feel like this is coming from from a, you know, from a, from another place, which is the media pushing and and a lot of their um, um, I don't know, their other um, you have like um, people from actors and celebrities and um influencers speaking about the same thing uh i saw recently this girl who is like an advocate for uh for like ladies to be to not worry about their shape and a lot of that also saying like oh i don't want to be in this and just complaining about diabetes freedom of speech and these are their their you know these are their heroes the heroes of the left um and it doesn't matter what place you are whether it's uh, you know right or, or left or anything it's just that understanding what freedom means it's not what they want you to to think freedom is they they're, they're just they're adding a new thing um and changing the terms the same thing they did with the vaccine right they changed the term of what a vaccination is yeah uh, you guys remember how uh the the terminology you can see how how it was edited and it's like oh, okay so you guys can just change the meaning of things well they change um, anti-vaxxers too to people who are against vaccines and laws re requiring vaccines mm. or some shit like that yeah exactly yeah. and we hear that that they say well 
you know, the, the, the winner changes history. And it's like, hey, wait, wait a second. Um, you can't just, and now we're seeing they want to change the definitions of what genders are. Um, you can get uh, completely deplatformed from platforms like Twitch if you say anything about this, uh, what genders are. And it's like, but this is, this is, you know, biology. Oh no, you're not a biology now. You know, you know, it's like, um, and, and they were like normalizing being, being, I don't want to say the word, but kind of like normalizing being dumb. Yes. No. Yes. Keeping, keeping the, the populace ignorant to what, well, that's the thing. I, I think the biggest uh, fear from the left right now is that instead of just being the narrative, they're going to have to defend the narrative now and, and having open debate, which is what essentially they're considering hate speech, mm. um, is what's going to happen now, you know, in regards to this platform. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see. And, and like you said, normalizing stupidity uh, because you're only being fed one narrative and anything else challenged is just kind of erased. It's not even they don't even put it up for debate. They just take it off and remove you is something that we're looking and hopefully not going to have. Uh, moving forward on Twitter once Elon kind of gets in there. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis weighed in yesterday when he was asked at a press conference on what he thought about the purchase of Twitter. Let's hear him. I'm glad to say that it appears uh, that the Twitter board of directors has accepted Elon Musk. Uh, I kind of like it in Florida. And I just think it's very telling that you have some of these legacy media outlets in D.C. and New York saying that this is such a bad thing because Musk believes in free speech. <laughs> but it shows you what they've used these tech platforms to do. When these platforms first came on the scene, they build themselves as being open platforms, as letting people share ideas. Indeed, they were used to go around a lot of those failed legacy media outlets like NBC and CNN that nobody <laughs> trusts anymore. And yet it seems like over the last five or six years, these big tech companies, including Twitter, uh, have gone from being open platforms to being enforcers of the narrative. And if you dissent from that narrative, you can be silenced. You can be deplatformed. If you report things that are inconvenient to the narrative, like the New York Post did with Hunter Biden, they will take it down or freeze your account. If you do satire that bites too hard, like the Babylon Bee did, they will freeze your account. And so that is not healthy for a free society. And so my hope is, is that with Elon Musk taking this private, um, he's going to open it up. Uh, and let people be able uh, to speak. And here's all I know. The people that want to enforce orthodoxy and want to stifle dissent, they only do that because they know their ideas cannot stand scrutiny. They know that if people are able to speak their mind, uh, that people will reject these phony narratives that they're always trying to shove down our throats. And so uh, I think it's an important uh, step. Uh, I look forward to seeing what ends up coming. I mean, not that it's the most important platform. There's a bunch of other platforms, but I think this is a blow for free speech. And I can tell you just from the shareholders' perspective and our state board of administration, uh, we are 100% supportive of what the Twitter board of directors did to accept Elon Musk's offer. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So he's not wrong. And, and you know, it's like we were just talking. It's almost like, you know, we're dialed into 
what Ron DeSantis had going on down there in Florida yesterday, it's the, the option to not even be able to be included in the conversation of anything because of, you know, being canceled is what we're looking to hope see go away because it might have made a difference in things like the 2020 presidential election, especially with items regarding Hunter Biden's laptop and then, you know, stuff surrounding the vaccinations um, all the way up through now to where if you look across social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for, for just the biggest ones, looks like Joe Biden's doing a pretty amazing job, according to them. <laughs> you know, places where, like, the New York Post and the Washington Times are, are, are championed as well. It's, it's, it's pretty disturbing to not be able to counter any of the narrative, except, you know, in, like, interviews we do on this show and other conservative platforms have on there. So I think, I think seeing, uh, you know, a little bit more opportunity to be involved in the conversation was, was pretty big. No, you sent me a spiciest one yesterday, the piece that was on MSDNC. Oh yeah. Amazing. And, uh, you know, the, the meltdown increased more as as the day went on. It's projection. It's just Mm. like, okay, so normally they just project what they're doing like hypothetically, but now they're literally using the projection of what they were doing as the excuse for why it shouldn't happen. It's fucking amazing. Like just yeah. How do you how do you jump through these hoops and just like take yourself seriously? I mean, I I know they don't actually Russiagate, the Ukraine phone call, Spygate, <sighs> etc. Yeah. You get the plot against the president picture behind you. Oh yeah. Amanda Millius, thanks. That's all you need to know. Yeah, thanks to Amanda and Daniel for getting that out to us. Gage, I want you to hear this clip from MSDNC yesterday and then tell us how it makes you feel really own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech philosophically clear, open-minded helper. This is stuff that has literally been going on for now six years. They literally said that's their biggest fear on the radical progressive left right now, to have their voices silenced, to have their accounts shadow banned, and how sad it would make them (laughs) all. (laughs) I mean, as someone, you use a lot of different social medias, and and you have a really extensive reach, and and just imagine if your voice was able to be heard, not unlike the highest oh levels possible. God. Yeah, just a normal wow. level. Like when you post stuff, it just went into the normal stream to oh. where people who are just, you know, sh- looking through social media can actually see your beautiful face and hear your beautiful voice. Just imagine that. One time, <laughs> one time I remember something happened on Instagram and it was like some, some probably like some invitation to do like their, like um, something, something for, for influencers to, to do, I don't know if it was sales or something. And that day I had my normal reach and I was surprised. I was like, Oh, I'm free again. Ah, it was only like one day. And then, you know, I went back to the shadows and it's, and it's like, we, we start to realize that the discrimination that they have been putting, silencing us, um, deplatforming us, erasing our you know just just making us invisible or all the work that they have put to to hide us you know not not only is emotionally uh having an impact in a lot of us because i'm sure and anyone who can hear this could relate to that 
that it gets really exhausting. It can get really emotionally tiring to feel like you're constantly fighting to get your voice out, to be, you know, you, you got to sometimes to like reach other ways. Like I've seen people in New York City putting stickers on the subway with, you know, barcodes and everything. So you can like even look for it yourself and see what's going on because they're fine. They're, they're feeling a bit sometimes hopeless because, um, you know, it's a lot of big companies and big influence against a group of in you know, a demographic of people. Um, so the idea of being able to, you know, to be seen again and like not discriminated um, because of your beliefs or whatever reason, or just have your freedom of speech rights back, uh, it's a it's an exciting thing. And and then seeing this happening made me feel like, whoa, what's going to happen with Facebook? Can we have some hope that this can also happen in this platform? Because uh, I have been being able to, you know to get my account back ever since. It's getting better, but it's still, you know, still struggling. Um, but um, it's it's really exciting to feel that maybe they're gonna, you know, take this down and, and allow people to have a debate and just exchange conversations like normal people will do without getting passive aggressive, anyone against each other or things like that. Yeah, um, when you mentioned the big corporations and stuff like that, it's like we we're seeing now what is it like BlackRock and what's Vanguard that? and Vanguard and we're, we're seeing a modern day monopoly and like yep. there's laws against this. And so this, these, these two companies are, have their fingers in any number of all these other ones like Disney and all the big tech companies and all the other shit. It's just like, there's laws against this for a reason. But what we're, what we're seeing is the political arm of the media and the actual politicians are complicit in just allowing this shit to happen. And, you know, they're getting kickbacks and allowing everything to just go the way that these big corporations want, want it to go. It's scary. I was talking to um, a comedian in Dominican Republic that he had a meeting with some of the, um, like one of the owners of the biggest newspapers in, in the Dominican Republic. And one of the things that they were discussing was like, oh, well, you're losing, you know, because the, the content that they have been sharing, it is it is truly just following the, the media here. It's a lot of just sharing the same um, articles. And you know that this is, like you said, it's complicit work of they all sharing the same things, following their agendas or whatever personal interest or, or whatever they have. And um, he said, like, well, you guys, you know, why don't you try to work and do something different because you're losing a lot of money. And they're like, they don't care. They, they, he's like, he said, the comedian said that he have seen them losing millions um, in, in this newspaper company and they, they just don't care. Uh, they have to follow and do what, again, like what they are being told to do because this is coming from a higher uh, place. It's not just a decision of the, of the newspaper company to, oh, this, uh, this happened, we have to report it. So do their, their journalistic work. No, it's not, it's really, we're seeing the same thing. I'm telling you, it's very impressive that we're seeing a lot of the same things that we're seeing in CNN newspapers and like a lot of the, the news here in the United States that are going to, to the Dominican Republic and sharing the same. Um, they're probably also, right now, newspapers must be talking about how this freedom of speech is being such a threat and like, you know, people are uh, concerned and just, again, just getting getting the the same, you know, the switches on. So they're all sharing the same news all over the place. I wish that places were like, um, I don't know, like in Denmark, they apologize to the people for just posting all these things without 
researching, um, but not many, you know, not many networks or, or newspapers are going to apologize to anything. Oh, they actually apologize. I didn't catch that one. <laughs> yes. And of course, and you know, the, the Scandinavia, they, they take corruption very seriously. There is still some corruption there, uh, but they had to apologize to the people because their, you know, their announcements and their articles uh, made people who have been trusting their government for so long because they have, you know, they have good uh, reputation for for their political, you know, views and and how they manage politics, and and then all these newspapers are telling them constantly a lot of this information that guided them to take decisions that now you know people were dying because what they did or like the the, the, the decisions that they were guided to because of that. So so the newspapers did like a you know they they spread an apology and and said that you know that they really regret not. Um, researching of course that's what they are supposed to do you you cannot just like put an article and just you know like if you put an article in your newspapers because you researched it and, and investigated the, the journalism and then you can you know share it with the rest of the the nation or or the country that that's your demographic but they were just copy pasting like we say like copy pasting i don't know everything yeah, safe and effective know. yeah exactly that's exactly you think ikea i think ikea is owned by uh blackrock or vanguard Wait, you guys mean un- unnamed sources aren't real sources? Oh, <laughs> Speaking of someone who supports unnamed sources, Jen Psaki weighed in yesterday on this. Of course, the White House was going to have a take on it. Let's hear her. So are you concerned about, you know, a billionaire taking control of a company that, where there's already uh, a lot of concentration of power? I would say that our, our concerns are not new. Uh, we've long talked about, and the president has long talked about, his concerns about the power of social media platforms, including Twitter and others, to uh, spread uh, misinformation, uh, disinformation. There it is. There it is. Um, the need uh, for these platforms to be held accountable. Um, well, I know you tried again. I appreciate that. I, I still don't have a specific comment on this specific transaction. Um, and at this point, we don't have any sense of what the policies will look like. Hmm. Don't have any sense. You're right there. They're big scared that Elon Musk called for timeouts and not permanent bans. I know, right? So you know it's always coming back when uh, he says stuff like that. It's so funny. Jeff Bezos owns Amazon and the Washington Post. I mean, some of the biggest things that have collaborated with the Biden administration throughout COVID uh, via Amazon. And then, of course, the Washington Post is like one of the biggest proprietors of this administration's bullshit, to say the least. Yeah. And to make just an absolutely hypocritical statement like that is something that doesn't necessarily surprise me, but, you know, is something that we're going to see a lot more of before this deal is finalized in the next six months. So I think the person who put it best yesterday um, and was able to articulate it in a way that only he can was Tucker Carlson. Let's hear his clip as we wrap this segment on Elon Musk. Democrats made a last-ditch bid to use their power to intimidate Elon Musk into backing off. Congresswoman Catherine Clark of Connecticut wrote this, quote, if they can afford to buy Twitter, they can afford to pay their fair share in taxes. Retweet (laughs) if you're ready to support Joe Biden's billionaire minimum income tax, exclamation point. What's funny, didn't National Review write a bunch of pieces the other day saying it was wrong for Ron DeSantis to use his power in Florida (laughs) to punish a company? I wonder if there's upset about this. All of a sudden, Democrats are calling for any kind of higher taxes on the big companies that fund their campaigns. Why? Because here's one that may not fund their campaigns. 
Congressman Bonnie Watson Coleman wrote this. If you can buy a major social media platform, you can pay your fair share in taxes. Tax the rich. Haven't heard that from the left in a while. Why are they so mad? Because their monopoly on speech and information, the ability to control what you believe, has been broken. So once again, they're resorting to force to get you to shut up. This is not an attack on Elon Musk. They're not going to tax him into poverty. He's the world's richest man. This is an attack on you and your right to speak freely, to express your conscience in public. But for once, it's not working. And the media are infuriated. They're profoundly threatened by a free internet. And so they're panicked. Watch. Elon Musk is the new power in the, at the social media giant, and he is foaming the runways for the return of the trolls. This is happening in the background of Elon Musk saying, basically, I want to buy Twitter so I can open it up and turn it into gab and let Donald Trump back. So there are real consequences to allowing anybody to run these Internet sites and say whatever it is they want. And Elon Musk is the fox coming into the hen house, and it is shameful that Twitter, which has a fiduciary obligation, I would think, to protect people who actually use it, the millions of people who actually use it. The, did they ask a single woman? A single woman, was a single woman oh, consultant. And this is it, was a single person of color who just uses yeah. Twitter, who made the mistake of using Twitter and needs oh, it for their job. Scissor me timbers. Nice. <laughs> so Elon Musk is a threat to the weak. Say the most privileged and powerful people in our society. Really, are they really standing up for the weak? No. The weak are the people who aren't allowed to say what they really think. Those are the weak. And what you just saw are the strong demanding the silence of the weak. Everyone's kind of figured this out, except the people demanding it. They're so up their own butts that you just heard them say that Twitter's a fiduciary duty to ignore its shareholders, block the deal, and continues Twitter's decline in the market. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. And because it doesn't, you can be certain you are watching a meltdown. And of course, at the bottom of the meltdown is always the same charge. He's a racist. Wait for the New York Times piece telling you Elon Musk is a racist. Sean. What do you think? Well, the, the fiduciary duty is to the shareholders. Right. And the shareholders want you to have a successful company that makes money. Mm -hmm. And if somebody wants to give you, what was the percentage over... 40%. 40% over cost. Yeah. I think that's a fiduciary, like, fucking fiduciary right now. Let's do it. Don't be a fiduciary. <laughs> <laughs> Uphold your fiduciary responsibilities. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, and, and for the record, I am asking both a woman of color and a woman, how oh, dare shit. Me, who's on the other end with us right now, Geisha. I, I don't think you have any problems with Elon Musk buying this platform. You kind of outlined it for us to just be included in the conversation would be something amazing. Well, she's obviously not the female person of color you're supposed to ask. Well, I tell you what, the guy that was on Joy Reid, which was where that back-end clip was, definitely had uh, a little bit more contour going on than she does. Oh, right yeah. So he was uh, quite the queen, did to we, say the least. Did we play the clip where... The, the media uh, person, I forget what what station it was, they were talking about how that this could lead to people influencing what people think, and she literally said, that's our job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was on Joe Scarborough. Joke. Yeah. Like, what? I I feel like the this message that they are um, saying about who are the weak is the same. We're, we're hearing the same thing. Remember when they said that, 
um, African Americans didn't know where the DMV is. Yeah, and that's yeah. why they have to. Like, this is this is the people that they're talking to. Um, not that, and I'm and I'm saying like not African Americans because they know how to do things. Is that is the people that have no clue what's going on in the world who truly believe because they do. There's a group of people who think. And there was an interview that I've seen uh, going like in universities and things and asking students and asking people, uh, they thought that they didn't know where the DMV was. They were like, yeah, you know, maybe they need an ID because they don't know where to get one and stuff like that. And it's like, so, so there are. So you're saying, saying like, these people oh, are not. retarded, basically. It's technically they're talking to, to like, to a specific group of people, I guess, that uh, either live in a, in bubble or yeah. something and have no clue what's going on but it i don't think is is targeting um and saying like us women don't want him to have a platform um i think i could go out and and ask um a hundred women here in new york even though this is a very uh what's it called douchebaggy is that what's the one of the liberals fiduciary fiduciary and i'm i'm pretty sure that i will get some some responses that well, wouldn't agree with that, like, or saying like, that's, that's bad or anything. Um, but again, it's like, when you see it on all the media, everybody's speaking about it, you think that it's true that that women don't want it, that, that, you know, people of color don't want it and, and stuff. So it's like, kind of like building a reality on their own. Um, it's a, it's really shocking, but I just want to be, you know, I just want to like get the, you know, the shadow band lifted yeah. and then like, you can go from there. It's a big, you know, it's a, it's a process. It's, yeah. Well, the ID thing, nobody wants to go to the DMV. It's right. a, it is a soul draining, tedious, task. just tedious, awful task. Unless like you make the appointment, you know, if you're, you know, able to, if you're smart enough to use the internet mm. and have a computer and you can make an appointment, it's a lot better. But I mean, going to schools and, and talking to these I hate to say it, privileged people. There you go. Who are completely out of touch because a lot of these people, you know, these are the same people that go to school. They go to a college because it's what you're supposed to do, quote unquote. It's what their parents have done. Or actually, no, the parents probably didn't do it, but the parents told them they need to do it because they have this imaginary, like, you're not going to be able to get a job unless you, you go to college. And then they change their, their major or whatever their, their course of studies are 18 different times. <laughs> They go to keg parties, they join a fraternity or sorority or whatever, and it's just a part. And then they rack up this amazing amount of student debt, and then they have a degree in underwater basket gender studies or whatever. <laughs> it's just something completely useless, like underwater like uh, underwater basket weaving mixed with gender studies. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> But they, they go do this, and then they, they don't live in the real world. They have this epic amount of debt. And then here comes the Democratic Party, like the white knight. Like, we're going we're gonna to forgive your student debt. Are you sure it's white? <laughs> it's the Democratic Party. The okay, how about the white knight? The non-binary knight. There you go. Yes. <laughs> another t-shirt opportunity uh, for us Geisha, you're, you're familiar with uh, some foreign languages uh how do you say non-binary in spanish mm. no binario but okay. does it does it matter if it's a male or female when you say it 
it does matter. Oh. No binario or no binaria. So oh. you actually have to add a gender to the word. I mean, if that's How what it means. You know so, it's, so it's binary Spanish? It can, it I, I guess it out. is binary Spanish. Bin- they try to um, they try to change also the word um, to like ellos and ellas yeah. to edges. Um, to try to make it non-binary and it sounds like the stupidest thing ever. So whenever we see that on television, it sounds we're as just stupid like, as Latinx. This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Latinx? It, Latinx. The first time I've heard Latinx, <laughs> I was like, no, get out of here. You want to corrupt the Latinos that we, for so many years, we didn't give a fuck about those things. And then now they want to like, edges. You are, it's like, edges? Latinx? You know, Spanish is a very complex um, language already, and um, now they want to add more, you know, weird stuff to it that we just don't don't. Honestly, Latinos don't don't love it. Um, they want to start with Argentina because they try to be like very open minded about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just it's it's becoming um, a little chaotic. Yeah, it's it's like they want people to speak like what I used to think uneducated people spoke like. Yeah. Like, I can't even do an example. It's just awful. Touching back on what you just said, you're talking about, you know, the ridiculousness of everything that is college now and the ridiculous debt that people, listen. They're making it more expensive. You say the Democratic Party comes in and says they want to do things like cancel student debt or a portion of student debt. So now you're saying that, like, someone that goes to a level, an institution of higher education and, and apparently receives one cannot figure out the fine print on their contract when they take out those student loans. However, a 14 year old can decide if they want to get their wiener, wiener cut off. off. Yeah. yeah. Pretty interesting. Makes perfect sense. Love it. Yeah. And how, how a 17 or 18 year old shouldn't be able to own a gun, but a 14 year old could vote. Well, where is it in California? It's uh Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. I think you can, if you uh, identify as a uh, transgender, you get 900 bucks a month. Yeah. It's, it's already started the rollout in California. The memes are amazing. <laughs> Like, about people just changing their, their gender. No, it was like it was like somebody had like the the TikTok or whatever the bullshit thing is, and it's like the music playing, and then it has like the text over the top, and it's like these two legit cholo looking guys, like gangster, <laughs> and they're like says that you can get uh, nine hundred dollars a month if you're transgender, and then the dude takes his bandana and like wraps it around his neck, and the other guy's, yeah. like, making kissy faces. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that's fucking amazing. Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah of like, course it will. I'm going to be, I'm going to call myself transgender to get 900 bucks a month. Bring it to San Diego. Let's do this. We're transgender now, homie. They have to rise up the, the, the percentage because they know that it's below, um, you know, it's very, very small in yeah. order to make it um, a real issue in society like you know but how do you uh, quantify it how do you uh, like are you going to start making people prove it i mean it's just like it's just like the the counterintuitive they just want to have on paper that yeah there's uh, that amount or you're going to need to show your vax card and you're going to have to show your id to prove that it's you (laughs) on the vax card but wait the id is racist and you can't use it, it to vote. It cannot be an ID. But you're going to have to use it to get into the building to vote and show your ID. But then we'll have to have, like, ID lock boxes outside the place so you don't bring it in so they can't check it. Like, what What are you going to do? Like, how many hoops are we going to jump through to make this make sense? We're not. It, it, is it possible? Hopefully it we'll, we'll, start, we'll start ending those hoops um, with the coming of this year's midterm election and moving forward. Yeah, let's hope. Which, consequently, is about 
what we're going to segue to right now, we're going to have back-to-back huge America First interviews. Two senatorial candidates. Blake Masters is back today looking to represent the U.S. Senate in Arizona. And for the first time, Jake Paquette's going to be joining us. Uh, he's running a really, really strong America First campaign down there in Arkansas against incumbent rhino John Boozman. So we're going to segue to that right now as they key up. All right, joining us first today on this huge episode of Steak for Breakfast, he's back with us after a uh, little bit of a departure. He is uh, working really hard in the battleground state of Arizona, one of the biggest senatorial races in the entire country right now. Mr. Blake Masters, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Gentlemen, absolutely. Great to see you again. It's great to see you as well. How are things going on the campaign trail? You've been out there all over the place working hard, uh, meeting with the people and letting them know what's going on, how important Arizona is, and everything that you're looking to bring to the table in your uh, run for the Senate. What's the update you can give our listenership right now? Yeah, you know, things are things are moving. And I just saw primary election is less than 100 days away. So the finish line is in sight. Uh, we're pounding the pavement. I'm doing more grassroots events, more media uh, interviews, about fundraising my competition still. Polls are all over the place. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty tight. Got some competitors. It's always interesting in politics. You know, people just release fake polls and their weapons more than actual diagnoses of where the electorate's at. But I'm distracting out all the noise and um, we're just focused and, you know, we'll see what President Trump wants to do. I think he's going to weigh in with an endorsement in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, I'm optimistic and hopeful to earn his endorsement. But, um, yeah, I think we're we're kind of getting into the finish uh, line sprint mode here. And I think I'm going to win this thing. Nice. Yeah, that's great to hear. We have seen you out there working hard. And uh, we're hoping that President Trump gets involved in that race. You know, we've had a lot of the former Trump administration officials, I believe both Dr. Navarro, Cash Patel, and even Amanda Milius have, have definitely said you're the strongest candidate out there. You align up with MAGA and the uh, America First, you know, platform probably identified best out of the three at the top of the polls. And then you mentioned those fake news polls. It's pretty interesting to see. It, it seems like every time someone's internal polling puts out something, they're just ahead of the other two competitors. And that seems to be the case in a lot of, uh, you know, the bigger races across the country and definitely in the battleground states. So we're hoping that he weighs in there. And uh, when you look at the things that you're running on, it looks like you probably uh, are, are lined up most with the America First movement. So we're hoping that you get that endorsement when it comes out. Um, you have a candidate forum coming up, which is a little bit different than a debate. You want to explain to our listenership just about, uh, you know, what that entails and uh, when it's coming up? Yeah, it's today uh, at 12.30 p.m. at Robeson Ranch in Eloy, Arizona. Eloy is a small town about halfway between Tucson and Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And I think organizers call these things candidate forums instead of debates because uh, you know, they're trying to get candidates to show up. I'll show up to a debate anytime, place. but a lot of my competitors, um, I think they get a little nervous when they hear debate, right? So this is just, uh, I think every candidate gives an opening talk, maybe five minutes, and then every candidate uh, in a row just gets asked the same question. And so there's there's no back and forth, really. But everyone gets asked a, a question they don't know the answer to in advance. And so I think this stuff is really important. You know, it gives people in attendance and people watching the, the video an opportunity to really compare and contrast the candidates, right, which you can't quite get just by watching TV ads. Um, so I've done two of these things before. I think I've won both of those. At least that's the feedback I've gotten. And I look forward to winning this one today as well. Yeah, we're looking to back you right there on that one. Uh, I know that you'd mentioned offline, Mark Brnovich hasn't really been keen to participate in any of the things that usually go along with 
running a campaign, especially when there's primary challengers uh, in the great state of Arizona. What do you think the uh, the play is there? You know, we, we had Jim Lehman on our show maybe about a month and a half ago, and it was after we had had you on before as well. And, and you know, when he went down the laundry list of things, he took a lot of time to really target Brnovich, uh, probably because of, you know, how recognized he is in the state of Arizona. But then when he came to you, he really didn't have anything negative to say. He said that you were a strong candidate, but then he kind of put a semicolon there, and he's like, yeah, but he's young. So it was like, okay, well, that doesn't really – he didn't really give us any tea or anything for our listenership to really differentiate, you know, anything that he's bringing to the table other than you except for the fact that, you know, you're a little bit more openly about the uh, Trump-era policies. What do you think the uh, thing that separates you most from both of those uh, primary challengers is? Well, I'm like – just hold up on a second on the, the youth thing. I'm like, that sounds good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's not a deal breaker don't, for me. Don't we think that the U.S. Senate is a little bit too old? I yes. think the average age is like 64, which means you got a lot of senators, God bless them, some really wise people in some respects, but but not others. And they're like pushing 80 years old. So I think, you know, you get me in there, you get J.D. Vance in there to work with Josh Hawley. All of a sudden you've got this young faction that knows what time it is. You know, I think the youth is a, a huge selling point. Um, but, yeah, I, look, as to Brnovich, I totally agree. He doesn't show up. He just, you know, at this point, he's kind of a career politician. He's just looking for his next job in government. Uh, he doesn't show up, talk to the voters. I've never seen the man in person, which I still think is really crazy. I see Lehman. I see McGuire, my other competitors. I see candidates for secretary of state. I see everybody because everybody's working hard on the campaign trail except Brnovich. Um, beginning to wonder if Brnovich is even a real person. <laughs> so I, I, I think that uh, he, just, he just thinks, you know, oh, I'm some kind of incumbent, you know, he's the attorney general. So he's got name ID. He thinks he can just coast to victory. And what we're seeing in the numbers is he cannot, he started the race at 40% in the polls. Now he's down either in the high teens or low twenties. And as people learn more about him and his sort of very mixed record, I think they're just going to go for, for a, a newcomer, an outsider, right? We need an outsider. And that's where it comes down to me or Jim Lehman. Um, you know, and, and Jim would probably vote the right way most of the time in the Senate, but, but maybe not. And I also just don't think there'd be a lot of new leadership there, you know. And this is where my relative youth matters. It's where my familiarity with big tech matters. Um, you know, we've got a lot of familiar problems. I think, you know, the border crisis, for instance, like obviously you're going to hear the same thing from all the candidates. And I think most of us, except Brnovich, believe it. You've got to finish the wall. You've got to triple the size of border patrol, right? Use technology to map that border, get, get eyes and ears on every inch of it and just stop the flow of illegal immigration and drugs. But what about things like ESG scores? You know, what about things like a Chinese Communist Party style social credit system? woke banks denying service to people because of their politics. You know, there's that whole set of new and modern threats. I think I'm by far the candidate. I'm kind of the only candidate who's really talking about that stuff, uh, let alone who has solutions to it. So I think if people hear me speak, you know, uh, for just a minute or two, they realize, okay, Blake's a different kind of candidate and we need that kind of leadership and that kind of energy in the U S Senate. Yeah, I definitely think you're right there. If you want to talk about, new blood in the Senate and then forming new, you know, coalitions and, uh, 
caucuses. It's definitely two of the things that we'd like to see. There's been some huge developments over the last, let's say, week or so in some of the things uh, regarding leadership in the Senate. You know, Mitch McConnell came out again yesterday and talked about uh, Donald Trump in a negative fashion in regards to January 6th, trying to keep that fresh in the mind of people, probably more moderates, uh, more independents who might be looking to vote Republican to win back the power there in the midterm elections. And it's just counterproductive to what the overall agenda is, because if you if you wind up getting a lot of these establishment Republicans in there who are just going to go with the flow and, like you said, for a majority or overwhelming majority of time vote, you know, with the party, but then in some instances don't, it's usually those big ones that we really need a one-two vote swing. And that's why it's so important for candidates like you and some of the other battleground states that we're really focusing on, Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, Missouri, and beyond, yep. to, to make sure that, you know, those votes are lining up with the American people and, and the America First agenda, not the establishment Republican, you know, K Street gang that they got going on down there at the country club. So it, it's good to hear you say that. And then there's a couple of things I want to touch on with you. You talked about the border. We saw a federal judge this week put an injunction in on Title 42, uh, extending it indefinitely until they can get to court and kind of hash it out. Um, talk about, you know, the crisis down there at the border. We've got some really strong candidates in there in Arizona who's really talking about fixing some things down there. But but from a Senate standpoint, how good was it for you to uh, hear this week that that judge was going to put that injunction in there? Well, it was welcome news, right? It was absolutely good. I mean, we should never be lifting Title 42. I also think, zooming out, we shouldn't be dependent on Title 42. You know, Title 42 is just a – it's basically – this, this very long-standing, rarely used public health law, right? And the Trump administration, I think, cleverly used it, um, and that, that helped us out a lot. But illegal immigration is illegal. You don't need Title 42 to know that illegal immigration is illegal. And in, in some sense, you know, it, it sucks that we have to use Title 42 as this backstop to this wider failure. It's just like actually enforce federal law, right? We know what needs to be done. There's just no political will to do it. And it's not like Biden is trying hard, right, and failing. I think mere incompetence would be bad enough. That would be deadly enough. <laughs> but to the Democrats, things are working quite nicely, right? They like this open border. Yeah. They're choosing it. It's an affirmative choice. It's why they're eager to remove Title 42. Uh, they just want to totally flood the zone with, with new people, with illegals, who they expect one day to be able to amnesty and make new voters out of, you know? And so I almost just don't think we could be hardcore enough on the border. The frustrating thing is when I'm sworn in in January, 2023, we're still gonna have Biden in the White House. Sure. Right, and so we can prepare the best legislation that would finish the wall and triple the size of Border Patrol and just go down the wish list, but like Biden's not gonna sign it. And so I hear a lot of my competition say, well, you know, we're going to introduce this legislation to close the border and maybe people in the room start clapping. But it's like you can't get that passed until 2025 when we have a Republican in office. So the question is, what do you do? Because we can't really afford two more years of just unlimited, you know, four million people per year streaming in. And so I think we have to actually just play hardball. And this is where knowing how the Senate works. This is where being willing to stand up um, and use your power actually matters because we can exert so much pressure on Biden. You know, Biden's got to fund the Department of Homeland Security every year mm-hmm. and either in a, in a separate standalone bill or in this giant omnibus. Right. And so, you know how Democrats are always threatening to shut down the government and blame it on Republicans mm-hmm. unless we cave and vote the way they want. Well, we can take a page from their playbook 
and do that to Biden. Like, I won't vote to fund the Department of Homeland Security unless that bill has guarantees that wall construction is going to start immediately. Right. And we can finish the wall in just a few months if we restarted construction and just say you're not getting Republican votes, Mr. Biden. And if you want to shut down the government because you don't want to finish the wall, that's your choice. And we're going to let him own that. It's just playing hardball, but no Republicans seem to want to do that. Yeah, and it seems like after we get a fresh crop of, of Republican senators in there after the midterm elections, it's things like that that could really put pressure not only on the administration but other candidates moving forward because shortly thereafter you guys are sworn in in January, you will start to see uh, some of the potential candidates on the Democrat side uh, making their announcements that they're going to be looking to uh, you know primary Joe Biden and uh, run for the president of the United States in 2024. So not tying into this platform, especially since there's been so many Democrats that have tied on to you know potentially extending Title 42 and doing something at the border um, in combination with that letter that was sent to Secretary of uh, Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas last week, where I think over 50 uh, senators combined asked questions specifically pertaining to the law and how he felt his, you know, uh, seat as a cabinet member as the the head of Homeland Security allows him to uh, basically not use any of it because he hasn't since. And then it asked, it gave several details on things they wanted answers in regards to what his solutions were, not finishing the wall, canceling remain in Mexico, uh, the extension of Title 42, et cetera. So it seems like they're starting to formulate a little bit of, of, of a game plan there. But we all know when it comes down to it at the last minute, it's time to be tough historically this batch of Senate uh, members, especially some of the ones that are probably near in the end of their careers, back off a little bit and, and, and want to be having it a little more bipartisanly, but that's just not the case anymore. They've had their foot on the yep. gas since, uh, you know, January of, uh, of 2021, and, and they're not going to take their foot off of it until we literally forcibly stop them to do so. Totally agree. Yeah. I well, think that's right. You know, I wanted to ask you real quick, uh, Coming from the big tech sector, uh, you know, you, you have some experience there. You're, you're very in the know of stuff that's going on uh, down in Silicon Valley. You saw this whole thing develop over the course of the last few weeks with Elon Musk. Do you want to just give us a hot take on that? I mean, there's a lot of things that may raise red flags for, you know, the casual listeners or America First conservatives, you know, like some of the transhumanism elements or the large amounts of uh, Defense Department contracts that Elon Musk holds. But when it comes down to this, the Twitter issue and, and stopping the stuff that you know, uh, has crushed conservatives over the past five or six years. It seems like some of his intentions here are, are genuine because he's kind of been looped into like pseudo MAGA supporting, you know, he met with Donald Trump at Trump tower during the transition after the original election. Uh, there was leaked to the media yesterday that they talked on the phone and had an extensive conversation yesterday before the deal was announced officially. <laughs> so they just kind of try to demonize him just for the fact, I mean, it's not like Joe Biden and his administration have done anything when they talk about this green new deal and all the, you know, uh, conservative or uh, the uh, conservation energy policies they want to implement all over the world, and they don't even include Elon Musk and all the things he's got going on there, even though he's run pretty much green since day one. But uh, how do you think this whole thing is, is shaping up to be? You think it's it's promising to see that a conservative uh, platform might be available for us at some point in the near future without maybe losing seven accounts or uh, just not being seen when you post stuff, anyways? Do so you think <laughs> that call was like, Elon, I want my Twitter back? <laughs> Um, yeah, it's been fascinating to watch, right? I think it's a great development, you know, and I think Twitter was always super left wing. It just got sort of intolerably so the last two or three years. Yeah, I think it's still crazy that they were able to kick President Trump off while he was president, right? That should literally be illegal. And, um, 
I think Elon just kind of pulling the rug out from under them is, you know, it's a thing of beauty. And like you said, Elon isn't exactly like a right winger. I wouldn't call him necessarily like a political conservative. He doesn't seem to be that ideological. He's got his own his own things. He's obviously a strange and brilliant guy, but um, but he does care about free speech. And I do. I as far as I can tell, and you know, I only know him just a teeny teeny bit. Um, I think I met him once or twice, but. I think he cares about free speech, and and that's enough today to make you uh, an anti-leftist, right? An anti-progressive, because the progressives, they Democrats, they attack the First Amendment. They don't care about free speech. They want to silence you. They want to silence me. They want to silence anyone who would depart from the party line. And so, this is like an extraordinarily healthy development. I hope the due diligence checks out and then it actually sticks. Yeah. Because I think if we get to play with 2015, 2016 era Twitter rules, we win. Like we win when there's free speech. Um, and so I, I regard it as very healthy. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm still, it's almost a little bit too good to be true. No, I agree with you there. It, it definitely seems like something super promising. And like you said, if we can get back to 2015, 2016 levels, which is just being allowed in the conversation. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's something that we've been so, you know, taken out of over the last two, three years that uh, it's definitely going to level the playing field. And that's why you see a lot of the meltdowns kind of happening. There was, there's been some spicy memes to say the least over <laughs> the past hilarious 48 hours. Blake, real quick, I want to touch on one more thing. It's probably the most important one uh, before we cut with you now, because we know you're busy and you're getting ready to head out, get ready for your, uh, for your forum this afternoon. But, you know, going into the 2020 presidential election, the legacy media made everybody think that Arizona is as purple as it comes. And then regardless of what happened, with the results of the 2020 presidential election, there's a lot of people who are working hard to get to the bottom of that. But what came from the ashes of that disaster, uh, which started with the Fox News early call, was the rise of all these candidates across your state. Now, you already talked about some uh, local district uh, races and people that are running for the U.S. House. But you're talking about AG, Secretary of State, Governor, some of the strongest, most America first candidates that are pretty much showing everybody that Arizona is far from being purple and it is a red and conservative state uh, really coming to the forefront here, yourself included. What is the making Arizona such one of the pivotal battleground states of the entire election right now? And, uh, you know, how does it feel being a part of that whole rebirth of conservatism there uh, stemming from the 2020 presidential election? Yeah, well, I think Arizona, you know, it was always this this reliably red conservative state when I was a kid. And I think the Republican establishment kind of took their eye off the ball for a decade or two. And you do get some demographic changes. Um, and then the left, like, you know, give them credit for working hard, at least. Yeah, it's a gap agenda they have, but they work hard. And so they worked hard and they 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 have sort of pushed Arizona left. I still don't think it's purple, though. No, and that's what not. we realized. We realized, wow. You know, this was a shoddy, corrupt election. And, you know, these people are hell bent on our destruction, these progressives. And we got to wake up. And so I think right now in Arizona, you have people who are waking up, but they realize it's not too late. Right. It's it's they woke up just at the right time. And man, with these America first policies, we can we can make Arizona uh, a ruby red state again. We can save this country. Right. I think it's just kind of in the nick of time. But people are excited, you know, and when, you know, most most people point to like that, the high, you know, Hispanic Latino population here, which is just growing as evidence that the state is going to go purple and then blue. 
And it's like, no, if you actually go canvas in South Tucson and South Phoenix and talk to people, uh, they hate the inflation. They hate the toxic left wing ideology in the schools. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want the border wall more than white families here, you know, because their family came legally and they don't want they came here to have a good country, not to have a country that's just being invaded by illegal aliens all the time. Right. And so I think if we run the right candidates and put the pedal to the metal, um, we can absolutely have that red wave that everybody's talking about this year. Yeah, you touched on it right there, and I think you hit it on the head. And in addition to that, you've been running a hell of a campaign. That's why we, you know, support you. Our show endorses you, and at any time in the near future that we could get you back on, headed up into the midterms, we'd be glad to invite you and have you back. And Blake, most importantly, I think we want to direct all of our listenership. If they're not getting to that forum today, they should be watching it online. In addition to that, getting and helping your campaign, especially in the in, in the money department and uh, supporting you any way they can from out of state, uh, because. Listen, we're done donating to the GOP, to Kevin McCarthy and to Mitch McConnell. We are donating to candidates who best, you know, resonate with the America First agenda and, and Trump era, uh, era policy. So social medias and, and campaign website? Absolutely. Campaign website is blakemasters.com. I'm on Twitter at BG Masters, and I actually got at Blake on Truth Social. Nice. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll live yeah hit those. me up there and... Uh, Really appreciate your guys' support. Always great to chat with you. Absolutely. We'll live link those in the show description today. And uh, like I said, we'll be looking forward to having you back. This is the man who's looking to represent the U.S. Senate in the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. Mr. Blake Masters, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Take care, sir. All right, joining us next today on this big, big episode of Steak for Breakfast. He's a former U.S. Army Ranger. He's also a Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots. Most importantly, he's running an America First campaign down there in the great state of Arkansas to represent the uh, state there in the U.S. Senate following the midterm elections. Mr. Jake Piquette, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure, sir. Finally glad to sit down with you. You have been a busy one, Um, but but one our listenership has been repeatedly asking to get on the show because of the strength of the campaign you've been running down there. You want to give our listenership an update on everything that's going on with you? Absolutely. Yeah, we are sprinting into the tape here in Arkansas. The The primary is May 24th. Uh, there's four of us in the primary and, uh, you know, it could go into a runoff, which would be a month later. But, you know, we're, we're the campaign that, that outworks the opposition. We show up everywhere. Uh, the incumbent is a 22 year guy, uh, Senator John Bozeman. He's totally invisible. He already said he wouldn't debate. Um, you know, he's not really going to engage with the electorate. He's just going to kind of hide in his basement and run a Joe Biden style campaign. But, you know, we're not going to worry about him or anyone else. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, which is uh, going all over the state of Arkansas and meeting with voters, uh, you know, doing media, getting our message out there. We've been blown away by the amount of support uh, we've had from around the state and around the country. Uh, people are ready for your conservative warriors, you know, not just Republicans who have an R next to their name. You know, they want leaders. They, they want people who can expand the base, rally others to our cause, actually move the needle on key issues that matter. And in a deep red state like Arkansas, I mean, this is our this is a Trump plus 30 state. I mean, we can send a true warrior to the U.S. Senate in this seat and the voters will have that option on May 24th. Yeah, it's some couple excellent points you make. You know, we're, we're definitely going to alert our listenership to that primary that's coming up on the 24th of May. Make sure you get out there and uh, participate in that to make sh- sure Jake's getting as many votes as he can in his corner. You also talked about the the incumbent, John Boozman. You know, he's got a long 
and, and documented track record. You said 22 years in the U.S. Senate of uh, voting along lines that aren't lining up with the America First agenda or Trump era policies. You want to touch on some of those just so our listenership can have a, a clear defining tone of uh, what they're getting if they get John Boozman again? Yeah, there, there's a lot there. You know, John Bozeman calls himself pro-life, but he's consistently voted for budgets that fully fund Planned Parenthood, send federal tax dollars to Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, he's voted to increase the federal gas tax. I mean, the price of the pump is killing Arkansans. It's killing Americans right now. And John Bozeman supported federal gas tax and state level gas tax increases. You know, I, I think your listeners understand that, you know, with the radical left, what they can't accomplish through the legislature or through Congress, they use through the uh, they accomplish through the out of control judiciary. John Bozeman has voted to confirm 122 federal judges, these left wing judicial activists in the Obama and now Biden administrations. You know, there was a recent case up in New York State where a John Bozeman confirmed federal judge struck down a, a strong Second Amendment uh, gun rights law up in New York State. So, you know, those are the consequences we're seeing. And the, the more the people of Arkansas hear about John Bozeman's record, uh, the less inclined they are to support him. Like I said earlier, he doesn't do media. He's in his basement. He doesn't campaign. You know, uh, you, you speak to the people of Arkansas and they really can't name any issues that John Bozeman has really stood for. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be someone who is out front, who's in the media, who's around the state, who's around the country, who's going to be where the action is. I mean, that's that's why I joined the Army. That's why I'm in politics right now. I want to be where the fight is. And right now the fight is in Washington, D.C. It's in politics. And I'm going to where the fight is. Yeah, it's a lot of excellent points you make. I mean, you talk about Arkansas being a Trump plus 30 state. And, and when you're voting in th- with things that line up with funding Planned Parenthood, gas tax for the citizens there, anti-gun rights bills, and then confirming all of those radically progressive uh, Obama and Biden judges, it just doesn't seem to line up ideologically. It seems to line up with what the Washington establishment means and, and wants, and it's definitely the opposite of what your campaign is running on right now. Um, you also mentioned that your service, again, thank you for that, uh, you know, serving the U.S. Army. I want to talk to you about stuff that's going on with Russia and Ukraine. We've seen some weird developments go on with this whole narrative from the beginning. You know, up to this point, we, we funded them. I think we're a little bit over four border walls worth of money in, in the billions department now that has gone over to Ukraine in less than 60 days. Um, what's, I mean, I've seen you contribute on Fox News a couple of times in, in some of the conversations going on there. And, and for the most part, when I've seen you on television, you've been the voice of reason and all of these other people that are talking just some crazy lunatic, you know, theories of everything from no fly zones to actually putting troops on the ground there and engaging Russia in a no longer proxy war would be at that point. What's your take on the whole developing situation there? And uh, what do you think the Senate could do to uh, maybe a little bit better support Ukraine or, you know, maybe fiscally responsibly moving forward? We made some great points there. I I mean, the the Democrats and really the uniparty uh, in, in conjunction with the establishment Republican group you know, they're they're willing to spend and send billions of dollars, uh, you know, for you know, securing the territorial sovereignty of countries in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. But they won't spend money on our own border wall, on securing the territorial sovereignty of the United States of America. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. There's a story that really infuriated me uh, a couple of days ago. I'm sure you've seen it. A, a Texas National Guard soldier uh, drowned, uh, you know, at the southern border. He was trying to save the lives of two people, two illegal immigrants who turned out to be drug traffickers. I mean, this story, like, 
you, you saw last year, you know, when you saw Border Patrol agents kind of twirling their reins around, you know, that got wall to wall media coverage and all these condemnations from the Biden White House. You're hearing crickets when a Texas National Guardsman drowned while trying to save these drug traffickers because he was put in an impossible position. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's infuriating. I mean, we have to secure our borders or we don't have a country. I mean, look, it's look, there, there's uh, when I deployed to Iraq with the 101st Airborne Division, I saw firsthand what happens when our country and other Western nations try to project our concept of a nation state onto, you know, war torn areas of the world that don't have our concept of a civil society. OK. And, and you know, we, we've got to focus on putting American citizens first. You know, that's what being an America first conservative means to me. It's putting the interests of our country, the interests of our citizens first. And to me, that starts with securing the border. And just to make one more point about Senator Bozeman's record, you know, he's been a strong supporter of amnesty in his multiple decades in Washington. You know, he, he recently called uh, illegal immigrants more American than any of us, meaning American citizens, when he wanted amnesty for DACA recipients. So, look, I, I'm someone who is for a strong border. I don't think anyone who's here illegally uh, deserves to be here. We have to have a government that puts the citizens of the United States of America first. That should be a no brainer. But when you're talking about the Uniparty in Washington, D.C., apparently that's, uh, you know, that's quantum physics. You know, Jake, that's an excellent point you make. I think it's one that's not talked about enough on any platform, everywhere from podcasts all the way up to the and through the legacy media. If you are going to vote along establishment party lines in the midterm elections and get, let's just say, a career rhino like John Bozeman, what you're going to get is someone who is eventually going to vote for amnesty. If you're voting for more of these America First candidates like Jake, uh, we just had Blake Masters on with us in an earlier segment in the show, you know, people like Eric Greitens, uh, Adam Lexalt down in uh, Nevada, Herschel Walker, who's coming on with us next week out in Georgia, some of the real strong ones who, who champion Trump era policies, you're not going to see proposed legislation coming out of the U.S. Senate that's going to give amnesty to these now almost 4 million uh, illegal migrants who have trickled into the country since the start of the Biden administration. You're going to see some real enforcement happen, and you're not going to just be giving them an automatic path to citizenship like we're going to eventually get if we don't vote right in this midterm election. You're exactly right. And I think just the, the failures, the catastrophic failures of the Biden administration, they give us an opportunity in 2022 to send real America first patriots to D.C. because we've got to have a, a core, a cadre. We're, we're not going to change it overnight. But if we can send four or five or six really strong conservatives, patriots into the United States Senate, there's some great young, bold candidates, you know, people who don't come from political backgrounds like I don't, who, who really give me a, a lot of uh, case and, and cause for optimism. Because, you know, when, when you get a group like that in there, we'll be able to move the needle. We'll be able to drag some of these squishy rhinos along with us. And we'll really be able to, to move the needle and attract others to our cause. Because, you know, when I see, when I look at the political landscape, you know, a, a lot of people talk about divisive issues. I think a lot of these so-called divisive issues are actually unifying. I mean, parents, they don't want their children being injected with this radical ideology in their classrooms. People want lower prices at the gas pump. You know, people want a secure southern border. These are these are unifying issues. We just have to have leaders in our party, in our movement, who can articulate that and not just be some of these old fossils who bumble around and cash a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, I'm going to stay on that real quick, but but before I do that, I want to touch on one thing. You know, you'd mentioned what happened to that natural guardsman down there in, in Texas over the last couple of days. We're, we're currently at day five since he went missing. 
Uh, the Biden administration has still not put out an official press release saying that they at least, you know, appreciate that guy, his service. He, he was a U.S. serviceman. And, and the fact of the matter was during the White House press briefing yesterday, you know, when Jen Psaki was asked about it, she kind of just brushed it off and scoffed and then said, well, Governor Greg Abbott and the Texas National Guard put him in that situation. So, and I'm paraphrasing, if they just want to keep playing games, you might see some of the same results. It's just absolutely loathsome commentary coming out of the administration right now in regards it's to stuff like that. Yeah, to say the least. Um, but you, you you touched on some of the older older people in the, in the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell, again, in the last 24 hours, is back in the news cycle. I mean, we've seen some stuff developing with, with Kevin McCarthy in the House, and we'll be able to get into that a little bit later. We're going to have Claire Worth and uh, Mike Collins coming on the show on the back end. But, you know, I want to stay in the Senate since I've got you on here. Donald Trump, to say the least, has called for a change in leadership moving forward. Uh, Mitch McConnell's been making some inflammatory comments over the past day, talking about January 6th again, mm. uh, trying to keep it relevant in the headlines. And I think in an attempt to scare moderates and maybe independent voters who are looking to support an America First Agenda candidate in the midterm elections because they want food back in the stores, lower gas prices, their kids not getting messed with in school, a safer border, stronger military, etc., um, what can you touch on uh, Senate leadership right now, and what would you like to see moving forward? Who are some of the guys there that you'd like to see really step up and kind of vie for that leadership position? Yeah, I, I can guarantee the people of Arkansas and the American people that when I'm in the U.S. Senate, I'm going to be with the conservatives. I'm going to be with Ted Cruz. I'm going to be with Josh Hawley. I'm going to be with Mike Lee. I'm going to be with Ron Johnson. I'm going to be with the the champions, Rand Paul. I'm going to be with those guys who we have in there now, hopefully a few others in the U.S. Senate, like Blake Masters and Herschel Walker coming up soon. You know, that that's where we have to be because we have to have disruptors. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about taking on the establishment. I'm actually doing it. You know, people would come to me before I launched this campaign and say, you know, Jake, you should wait your turn. You know, wait till there's an open seat. You know, that's just not the way I think. You know, that's, that's not the way that I live my life. You know, we need, I, I see an opportunity to get into the fight, to lead from the front, to actually send an America first patriot into the U.S. Senate. And I took it. I, I'm taking on the establishment. I'm, I'm primarying a sitting incumbent, a long-term incumbent. And, you know, it, we got a long way to go until May 24th. But I think the people of Arkansas and the American people are with us. Yeah, and we want to be able to continue to uh, champion that amazing campaign you got going on there and funnel as much support as we can into it moving forward and, and up to May 24th. So in addition to being able to uh, have the opportunity to ask you back at some point in the future after the primary elections, Jake, we want to be able to help you out as much as we can. Can you tell our listenership where they could find you across social medias and your campaign website? Absolutely. My campaign website is my name, jakebeckett.com, J-A-K-E-B-E-Q-U-E-T-T-E.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all social media, Jake Beckett or Jake Beckett91. That was my college football number. Uh, 91 with the University of Arkansas Razorback. So find me at jakebeckett.com and all social media handles. And I truly appreciate your support. We're on the way. Yeah, we'll be live linking those in the show description today. And like I already mentioned, we'll be looking to sit back down with you at some point in the near future. This is the America First Patriot who's running to help make Arkansas great again in the U.S. Senate. Jake Beckett, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast with us. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Take care. What do you think? They were... Uh... Very strong candidates, to say the least. Yeah, I like both those guys. A lot of America First principles there. There's reasons why um, they, they decided to get involved in this race. They come from completely opposite ends of the spectrum in regards to, you know, their politics and, and, and their upbringings. Jake was more of a an athlete. He served in the military, was part of the Super Bowl champion with uh, the New England Patriots. And then you have Blake Masters out there in Arizona, who's, you know, part of the big tech Silicon Valley family. But uh, they've both really kind of dialed into the America First movement and moving forward, it looks like they're uh, hopefully going to both get endorsed by Donald Trump moving you know, closer to the midterm elections right here. Yeah. 
So very excited to be continuing to follow their campaigns, and uh, we'll keep you guys updated. Speaking of which, there was a Save America rally this weekend in Delaware, Ohio. Uh, large crowd for late afternoon. Not usually or typical of Donald Trump to have these rallies during sunlight hours, but I guess with all the inclement weather they've been having across the country, he didn't want to freeze his ass off at night and have to talk about it while up on stage. Um, this one was for some of the candidates there, like Max Miller, who's a former high-ranking Trump administration official, and then J.D. Vance, who is a, kind of a controversial um, endorsement over the last week or so. But let's get into it and, and hear some of the things that he was touching on uh, this past weekend out there in Ohio. And right now our country is going to hell. <laughs> but under Biden, Pelosi, and the radical Dems, it's back to... America last. They actually say it's America last, and that's what it is. I got gas, gasoline for cars. I got it down to $1.87 a gallon. All you could buy, no lines, no nothing. Now they have it to $5, $6, $7, $8, and it's going higher. Get used to it. I rebuilt our military, including our nuclear capability. We don't even like talking about it, but I rebuilt our nuclear capability. We had bombs and we had explosives. Nobody even knew if it worked. And I don't like talking about it, but we have somebody that talks about it all the time, Putin. And we have nobody that understands what's happening. It's a very sad situation. We've never been in this position before. But we created something very special. Not in 75 years since the Air Force, we created Space Force. Very important. It's doing great. So we created a great, new, beautiful military, and they gave $85 billion of it away to the Taliban. Thank you very much, including 700,000 machine guns, rifles, and guns. How about that, J.D.? 700,000. What the hell? Is, you know, they're one of the largest arms dealers now in the world. They sell everything that they took from us. They shouldn't have had 10 cents worth of equipment. They have our airplanes, our helicopters, our tanks. And 70,000, think of that. I don't think there's a used truck lot or <laughs> car lot anywhere in the world that has much more than five or 600 cars. You know, they say the inventory is full if you have 500 on the big ones. 70,000 trucks, 70,000 we gave them, many of them armor-plated. I was getting us safely out of Afghanistan while keeping Bagram. We were gonna be out with dignity, with strength, with respect. They totally humiliated our nation with soldiers killed, 13 great soldiers, and nobody talks around all of the incredible soldiers that were so horrifically injured. You never even hear about it. I hear about it. No legs, no arms, just blown up, disgraceful. Mm. Went in hard to start. Uh, I know he's touched on some of the Afghanistan stuff before, but get into some specifics there regarding, you know, just how much of the equipment, monetary values, and then the effect that it had on some of the soldiers that, you know, either lost their life or were permanently injured on the 
complete retreat and withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's just so dangerous to have that much of that stuff floating around out there. It's like, you know, vehicle-borne and uh, improved, improvised, sorry, I can't talk, improvised explosive devices. Like, it was bad enough when it was like a Fiat. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be a Humvee or MTVR or something like that, and that's just fucking epic. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so now you got a checkpoint at a military installation in some part of the world. And now you have to second guess every legit 100% your team military vehicle that's going to come at you. It's just crazy to think about that. Keith, what are your feelings? I don't know if we've ever been able to touch on you with the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. From from your perspective, what did you see when, uh, I mean, it was obviously one of the most, well, biggest military failures in the history of our country in addition to... Uh, you know, how embarrassing it looked on a global stage, but what's your take on it? Well, the, the sadness that things we could invest in, in improving the country that already has so many things uh, that needs help, you know, with, and then um, like, we're seeing how you're during Trump, there was, we never saw any, any war going like, you know, that's some one thing that that we we shared with many people around the world that wanted to say something about him negatively. We're like, you have to understand what happened be- when he was in place, and and then after, like how much uh, you know war conflict, uh, how much disaster has happened afterwards, and uh, how much money from taxpayers is going to to this. Um, to, like it's hard to see, you know, like you know, like it's hard to believe that a lot of our money that right now it's so hard to to go you know to the supermarket and get anything i'm telling you here in new york is, is a nightmare um but to see where this money is being invested um and how biden has been um dealing with uh the situation it's it's truly uh, it's truly sad but what i love about hearing trump speaking is that it reminds the people uh how how well america was uh, i mean t- like gas at, at one point something oh god i could i travel so much with my little car with that back then now <laughs> i can't it's really just parked and not going anywhere because it's a meal now to go a few blocks it's really like it costs you a meal to drive mm-hmm. for a few blocks when you think about it um and uh it is just you know it's just like you put the the hand and then usually your face palm your face and you're like you can't believe that the biden is doing these things and that this is truly happening now we're seeing the food shortage and like all of that just together um at once um it is it's it's really um like you said it's it's hell like we're seeing we're seeing a disaster right now um but i don't know i just hope that more more and more people see it and they don't just believe what the media is telling them because what we're seeing also in my country and here is that they're constantly just blaming it on what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in, you know, and like uh, now with um, with the whole uh, COVID thing, um, but it is just the result of terrible actions. Mm-hmm. I don't, did they ever blame the the Afghanistan to something? Did they ever like blame that disaster on something else? Or Yeah, they blamed it on Trump. Oh, they, yeah, it's always blaming it on something. And and um, that, that, I hope that people get tired to, of seeing this um, excuses whenever something happened um, and, and wake up because uh, we truly need to be in the same page to go somewhere because as long as you see, you continue to see people begging like, Oh, freedom of speech is so bad. <laughs> My freedom. I don't want them. Take him. You know, we're kind of like screwed. Um, 
But yes, that's just clown world. It's hard from New York to talk about this stuff, especially when you know you're going to do a citizenship test in two weeks that specifically asks you like, oh, where are the three? Tell us some of the three freedoms. Uh, you know, in the US, like you have to tell them, um, I don't know, I'm not sure. Is it freedom of speech? Because I'm confused. Is it freedom of assembly? Because I don't know if I'm going to fail this test or, or I'm just going to like lie because apparently that's not a freedom anymore because, uh, you know, they want to share it as it's something bad. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have two different tests. Like, do you like Trump? Okay, you take this test. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, they're not open ended questions. Well, either. when you talk about like the the supply chain issues, the expense of food, the expense of gas, you know, costing a meal to drive your car, basically, it costs a meal to drive. Uh, well, and then you know we see reports of all these like food production production plants that are going up in flames, and it's like, okay, so is that a terrorist attack? Is this like a is this adding to the already like pending chaos that we're going to have in the country. Yes. And if so, wh where is this coming from? Is this actors inside the United States already? Or is this actors that we just let in? Cause they were talking about, you know, all these uh, potential Russian cyber attacks and shutting down power grids and this, that, and the other thing. But we just like let a bunch of those guys in. So now they don't have to use the computer. They can just, well, I don't know. They don't want to lose a meal by driving to burn down a food production plant, but you know. I'm sure the government they, they don't, Do they need to bring anything? I don't think, I don't know if they need to bring anyone because they released, I don't know how many thousands of uh, inmates because of COVID. So technically you have people for hire everywhere if you want to do some, you know, something like terror into, mm -hmm. into a town, you know, seeing what's kind of going on in California and like also here as well. Um, lots of you know, crime incidents and it just, just the fact that all these places are burned and um, wasn't it what a plane that they said that crashed into one of the food plants. Yeah. Yeah. So a small twin engine plane. Mm. And what happened with the other. Why does that sound familiar? <laughs> Was it also a plane for them too? I don't know. I'm sure we'll find some surveillance footage of uh, FBI. Of a agents. box truck crashing into the wall. Yeah. You so. know, what's funny. I remember, I remember like yesterday when, People on the internet were making fun, a lot of fun of those who uh, did a lot of shopping, like for safety. Prepping. They made a lot of fun. I remember that, that they used to say like, oh, now what are you in a bunker with a bunch of tunicans? Like, oh, 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 oh. like, um, now what are you going to do with all this food and stuff? And it's like, well, yeah. Um, I wish I had a bunker. Kinda, it it kind of feels like, like things are eight times more expensive. Yeah. I go to the supermarket and not even Whole Foods because Whole Foods now you got to be a whore. There's like whore foods. I kind of call it that way because <laughs> it's like where are you getting the money from to you know to shop organic these days? Only so fans. Like if you go if you go to whore foods, it's like you you buy just three items and it's gonna be sixty dollars. You're like I don't know if I just go to a restaurant or something. Like I don't get it. No, I, we talk about it all the time. I mean, groceries that used to cost me around two hundred dollars just a little over a year ago are now costing four hundred. Yeah, well, it's like the pre the the prepping thing. It's like, well, you know, the the equivalent of buying a bunch of food to have on hand in case you need it later on. Mm -hmm. I'm about to run out of the gas that I prepped. <laughs> like I I'm still paying five bucks a gallon as of right now. My truck is almost yeah. empty. My motorcycle's got like two more gas cans left. I'm really bummed. I'm gonna have to actually buy gas at current pricing which is ugly yeah it's really ugly just imagine if i had to buy tuna cans even the, even though the, the cost of a barrel continues to go down it seems to be rising due to supply 
um, and demand across the country. Well, the gas thing is such bullshit too, because if when you think about it, they got ten thousand gallons or however much the fucking tank underneath the gas station holds, right? They just filled it up yesterday. All this shit goes down. They raise the price sixty cents or whatever the most epic, egregious raise in the prices was. It's like that shit they got in the ground is still for something a gallon. Right. Bought it that It's just an value. asshole move. No, it certainly is. It's like the same thing they do with gold and silver. Yeah. Um, when you want to talk about our personal gold and silver, you could be referring to our lovely children of the country, our sons and daughters, and uh, how teachers have been... Shitting on them? For a very long time. It's just become public now with the, you know, following the pandemic and, and having a whole lot more parents involved when they were able to hear and see on a daily basis what was actually going on in some of these classrooms. I guess oh. I should have said golden shower because you made the gold reference. It's disgusting yes. when we're talking about the children. <laughs> Donald Trump weighed in on it, not the golden showers. Let's hear him. No teacher should ever be allowed to teach transgender, transgender, transgender. to children without parental consent. Isn't it amazing how that's become such a big subject? And who would even think that that would be a big subject? think we'd be talking about that who would even think that would be a subject where it gets like the biggest hand of all who would think it's possible and you know while we're at it we don't want men competing in women's sports is that okay i'll just throw that one in there yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's really important to to make that a critical issue and he makes a lot of sense like shit when i was a child in elementary school i couldn't fathom in my deepest of minds what a transgender person was. And now it's like, I have kids. They're both in elementary school right now. And it's, it's probably one of the top, when you just talk about domestic issues there in regards to like education and stuff, it's probably one of the top two issues. I would say curriculum. And then, you know, going hand in hand and as the, the transgender woke bullshit that they're trying to put into classrooms. Yeah. Well, so when you were a kid, somebody asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up. Did you say like firefighter, police officer, astronaut, astronaut? Like, I mean, how many different times does that change for you? I mean, you probably wanted to be an astronaut for a while. Are you an astronaut currently? I'm not a transformer either. No, you're not a transformer. Maybe, maybe. Oh, you could be a transformer. Okay. So, wow. You just ruined my whole point. But the shit that kids want to do when they're a kid is meant to be something that that helps them grow. It's a goal. They learn about something. They go to the library. They buy, they, they, they check out books. They read about it. It's, it's a part of development. Now, when the parents get involved and say that, you know, Charlie wants to be Charlie's Mm -hmm. and they facilitate that by doing something that completely changes them forever. Puberty blockers or an, or, I mean, I don't even know what the other shit's called, like chemical castration. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Like, those are unfixable things. It's like the kid falling out of a tree and breaking his arm because he, cause he's trying to be an astronaut and building a spaceship tree fort or whatever. Like, yeah, you can fix that. But developmentally, when you completely just 
cut the legs off somebody. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's epic. I, I don't understand how it makes sense to anyone. I feel, I, I have some of my, you know, as, as a beauty queen, you know that I, I'm surrounded a lot by the LGBTQ community right. as, as, you know, part of, of what I was doing for, for many years. Um, they're very involved in, you know, obviously like in a lot of like fashion and beauty and stuff. And my friends, when I talk about that stuff, they come to me and they say, this is getting out of control. Uh, and, and, and they come out as like, even, you know, as a gay person or as a trans person, they say, this is not okay. When I was a kid, I was not even remotely close to be thinking about these topics at all. Um, and, um, I think in my, in my, you know, opinion that this is going to increase very, very fast the amount of pedophilia um, around schools um, that, you know, like the, the percentage of, of, of situations where kid, kids are going to be um, either molested or exposed or groomed in a certain way. Uh, this is going to make it increase it all by a lot because you are given the power to someone um, to get to certain topics that you don't know how far is getting with your child. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't know how, you don't know, you have no control what boundaries are being taken. You can say, oh, we're just going to talk about what, you know, the, the genders and, and their parts. And then next thing you know, this person is already seeing your kid naked. And I'm saying like, I have been molested as a child. Like I ran away and like, I think I, I wasn't like in a situation that was worst. Um, but people have to understand how dangerous it is to put a child in the hands of someone that have the control of even remotely getting close to certain topics like this, like your private parts, your, you know, um, whether you can, you know what I mean? It's opening a door and then that's going to increase the level of of pedophilia cases and stuff like that. They're going to normalize it because we're seeing that that's been happening, that they want to normalize pedophilia. They want to change their name to like map or like, you know, like minor attractive person. They want to like desensitize people as, as, oh, this is normal. A kid can now, you know, that's what I'm saying. Oh, a kid can, a kid can kiss that's something that's not new next thing you know is like a kid can have sex and stuff like that um and getting to a point where where we're destroying the future because the kids are are going to be the future of a nation and if if they're emotionally harmed if they you know i know how much it 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 changed me like how much it impacted me uh the fact that that i was attacked as a child that that changed completely i know it changed a lot about how i behave and how i see things um and then, you know, of course, if you make people more vulnerable and emotionally, you know, affected, they create more traumas, more, um, you know, also more personality disorders. And therefore, you're going to have someone that's going to be much easier to control, which, again, we know it's it's a very important thing for, you know, for corrupt, you know, corruption governments or people who want to control their nation by democratically make you feel that you, you know, you, you're doing this, you actually want this, but you don't know that there's something bigger in the back that's continually pushing you and, and, and just uh, shaping you into what they want. And I feel like that's, that's what we're seeing a lot here and we should protect the children as much as we can. Yeah. It should be a simple formula. Okay. So take this topic (laughs) and assign it to three different people. All right. This topic is going to be spoken to your child by a person in a panel van that pulls up to them while they're walking to school. Is that conversation appropriate? No. No. Okay. The next person is this person in a trench coat in the park. Is this conversation appropriate? No. 
your teacher. Still not appropriate. It's the same shit in three different settings. And the same person can be all of those people. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's been plenty of teachers who have been child molesters. There have been plenty of teachers that have gotten arrested for literally kidnapping children, doing fucked up stuff, having sex with students. Oh, and when you look at just the those three items that or those three options that you just gave someone in a in a panel truck, someone in a trench coat in the park, and then your teacher, it's like which one has more relevant influence over your kid? I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Especially at a young age, you're talking elementary Well, it depends school. on how nice the van is. True story. <laughs> Some of those Astro vans back in the day were pretty sweet. 72 tradesmen. Interior lighting. Yep. And the bed. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, when, when you're a kid, that you, like, not on a non-sexual level, kids romanticize about their teachers. They want to embody them. They go home and pretend they're teachers. They set up, like, little classrooms with their siblings or with their dolls. And when you have them manipulating them to gain and garner that trust, as you use it as an in for talking about cutting your dick off or you don't have to listen to your mom or dad, like your name's Johnny and you're a boy, like that's what the doctor says. That's but don't like, tell them that we told you that. If you don't feel that way, it's not okay for your parents to make you feel that way. And then everybody lies about it to you as the parent. It's extremely disturbing. Like I, I've my kids – they don't go out and talk negatively about this stuff at school, but they're very aware. They know keywords to listen for, and I always tell them, listen, if your teacher starts talking about this bullshit in class, you don't say anything, you come home and tell me, and then I'll go to school and take care of it. Yeah. They just went through Earth Day, which was, I, I believe, earlier in the week or, or late last week, and you know it didn't really trigger me too much. The biggest thing was like they were talking about the icebergs melting. I, I gave I both like sat them down and interrogated them. Like, I want to know exactly what you guys are talking about in regards to this bullshit. And my, my daughter's like, oh, I, I'm not really interested in that crap. I didn't listen. I just, like, colored the picture they, like, gave us. And my son's like, oh, yeah, we have to be really careful because the icebergs are melting. I was like, sit your ass down. It's time to watch John Coleman talk before, <laughs> talk before the Senate. And, uh-huh. and he did, and he's like, this is an old video. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, the, the Earth is billions of years old, so it doesn't matter if this one's, like, 10 years old. I said, that guy invented the Weather Channel. And he knew more about meteorology and all the things going on on this planet, like, firsthand than anyone else did ever at the time. And, and when he sold it, it, he said it was because this is all becoming bullshit. It's becoming propaganda. Well, it's like all the stuff that they're they're spouting is an unquantifiable thing. It's like you can't prove it's correct or not correct nope. because, I mean, you take ice cores from the fucking Arctic mm-hmm. or wherever, Arctic, South Pole, I don't know, wherever the fuck they do that shit. They, they see that the, the earth is cooling and heating, and it just goes in cycles. It, that's how nature works. Yes. I, th- I think also people should keep with the, relating to the children situation that their brains are still developing. Yeah. This yeah. is when we cannot play games when a human being is still changing. It's horm- hormonally. Like, I mean, we struggle with hormones um, when, uh, you know, when, when you're in that phase of developing the body, growing really fast, uh, going through changes, a, a child needs to be let, you know, just, just being thought to do kind, you know, kindness, things are going to be good for them and, and just to help them get to the point where they are fully developed and then they can go from there. But no, they want, it's like, we have the children being attacked prior when they are vulnerable, when they're, you know, when, when their bodies is still working is still developing as if they were a 30 year old person, that is nonsense. How can someone try to teach or like, how can they treat a child? Like you were, you know, 30 years old, something like mutating yourself. It's a decision that someone should do 
way like you have to be mentally emotionally you should should be uh, old enough to to make such a decision of that level uh but they want kids to do that it's like the type of thing that uh it's very scary of the times that we're living because mm-hmm. uh you know we're seeing the changes of definitions we're sh- we're seeing the changes of of how things should be the demoralizing the um uh kind of like desensitizing mm-hmm. life um and and just a way to like just change how we should behave about something like now tv shows want to make you feel like you're a bad person if you don't talk to your four-year-old about their penis and the and the like in the terms like oh there's someone can actually suck your penis and and that's gay a four-year-old like you know what i mean it's it's really delicate because they're going to uh, to places that uh, it's going to cause a lot of harm in society. But uh, we're doing our best to like uh, sharing the word about it. That's, yeah. that's something that's good to say. And yeah. combating it. Some of that literature that's yeah. been infused into a early school curriculum, like like the ones you were just mentioning, is absolutely disturbing. The content is extremely graphic and there's no reason any way, shape or form that kids, you know, under the age of, of at least preteen, you know, should, should even be even thinking about that, more or less be shown it on a regular basis. You, you know, you talked about uh, some of the things that are pretty crazy right now. One of the ones, which is a hot topic, Geisha, it affects you directly, is the Democrat-run cities. You live in one of them. Let's hear Trump weigh in on uh, how he thinks things are going there. Democrat-run cities, you have skyrocketing murders, rapes, robbery shootings, and carjackings at levels that they've never seen before. This month, right here in Columbus, a three-year-old boy was horribly shot when 15 bullets were fired into his house, killed. Last month, a one-year-old baby girl was shot while sleeping in her home, lying in bed between her two parents, when a bullet came through the wall, through the mattress, and right into her back. And this month, a Columbus man was sitting on his porch when two vicious thugs tried to rob him, viciously rob him. And when he said, I don't have any money, please, please, I don't have any money, they shot him eight times and killed him. But help is on the way. The reign of defund the police Democrats ends this November. And even more so, it's going to end in November of 2024. I like it. Now, Geisha... You know, I don't know how much you roam the streets, but you are one of the people I worry about. Yeah. You know, you know, going from here to there, you say you go to the store, sometimes you drive around. And for people who live outside of these big cities, it's not just in, like, the crappiest of neighborhoods anymore. You know, I've seen some some pretty vicious crime happen in, in Manhattan, happen in, like, in, yeah. but like cars crashing into each other. It was, like, the other day, like, a Range Rover was crashing into a, a Land Rover, and they caused, like, a four-car accident, and people were, like, getting beat up, and then stuff stolen out of their cars uh, in Los Angeles. And then, you know, these walking down the streets just sucker-punching people and then beating the shit out of them while they're unconscious and taking all their stuff is happening more on a regular basis there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's extremely disturbing. So as someone who, you know, you've been there for a while now and you I'm sure you've pretty much familiarized yourself on, on where and when to go and, and what times of the day are probably best, even though that's yeah. not even really much of a cover anymore. Nope. What's it like on the ground there in uh, New York city right now? Well, I have gotten my car uh, broken, like just randomly, just they broke the window. Uh, a, a lucky day, a lucky day is a day that you go out and you don't see something weird going on. 
a lucky day is a day that you don't see like either someone naked in the in the subway yelling and screaming and having a weird attack or something um i you know my sister also whenever she we have a thing where we always talk about the crazy things we hear in new york right uh and it's been two days in a row that she just go downstairs and there's always some drama and like she's even writing about it because you know it's a filmmaker so at least it's making stories about that stuff um because of how uh, extreme it is people are uh not in the in their conscious mind and in a lot of ways not only the mental health that we're having the crisis also the opium crisis is here uh but then also uh how people are just it's like this very weird form of adapting to craziness like you will see in a subway in Manhattan people that will just getting out of work just sitting down you know arms legs crossed and then someone is just really saying that's going to kill everybody and you know it's going to start beating the, the shit out of everyone if that whatever and then you're just yelling and they're just like yeah just another day in New York how's the weather like oh you know uh like it's it's becoming um a really weird scenario <laughs> Uh, where this city people is like, we're just going to do what we're told to do. We are just not going to say anything or do anything. If things are crazy, we're just going to not feel any empathy for the man that is literally like passed out in the street that you don't even, you don't even know if it's dead. It could be dead. And you, maybe when it smells, you're going to find out that it was dead <laughs> because no, that's what, that's how, that's how New York city is. It's becoming. And I can say what I'm seeing from when I used to live here, because my first city was New York when I first moved in 2009. And I lived here for four years before I moved to California. And um, I can see how, how it's getting. Um, and uh, it is just, I cannot say that is completely worse than Los Angeles, because in Los Angeles, it's like, it's just it has gone really absurd but i think it's yeah. the weather also that helps people yeah. feel like they're not freezing while they're stealing a store you know you don't have to wear a coat to like grab your your jewelry or something um but but here yeah here it it's it, you don't need to be at two in the morning you don't need to be there's i remember get, getting out of somewhere and it was barely not even 10 and and the subway was was a scary place that you don't you don't want to be there. You fear for your life. And I've, I've been in situations where uh, I don't feel safe as I am just walking from one spot to another. I'm always looking. I'm always looking. Um, and I have like a taser with me um, just in case. But uh, we were seeing a lot of these things like a normal thing. And maybe maybe they're just used to it and they don't care anymore like people here. But I still feel very um sensitive to to how crazy uh the city gets and it's been getting worse too i mean like i haven't worked down in the gas lamp of san diego in what six seven years now probably and i i would walk to work i used to live about two miles from the the bar that i used to work at and you know it's like if i made it home without seeing a bum shitting or jerking off it was yeah. a good night That's and it's yeah. just like and, it and it's is, getting yeah. worse now and it's like even driving home from work you know, along the freeway, I'm on my motorcycle and I'm looking and there's like hobo shanty town in the center divider. There's a hobo shanty town on the right side down in the ravine. You know, Cal uh, San Diego County tried to put up like all these rocks under the, the overpasses to so people wouldn't camp out under there. And then you see people like making like lawn chair platforms to like live on underneath these bridges. It's amazing. 
Yeah, I've been in situations where I had to run from one cabin to another because the the poop smell was so bad. Mm. Um, yeah, like it it was and like it was just like how we, me and my sister will just like walk in and they will see each other like nope and it was just like get out and run to the next one. Um, like yeah, you know we're just literally right next to the shit. Yeah. It's just that like you have to either adapt or or move and. You know, I hope not to get, you know, I have my, my interview in two weeks. So I'm just going to, yeah, New York is such a great place. I yeah, Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And then, like, sometimes it's not even the actual shit. It's just how the person smells. Like, I remember bouncing down there and there was yeah. this dude in a wheelchair. And I could legit smell him coming from a block away. Yeah. And I'd be I like, imagine all right, the here he comes. State. Of this person imagine the mental state and then you want to tell me that you care so much about the hormones of someone um when you have people who need help they need urgently help um to get you know to get their life together because they just became zombies of of what you know the res- results that that we're seeing sometimes uh people involved in the selling uh, uh you know illegal drugs and and things like that um and then just having you know t- just having the audacity to tell me that we have to give so much money to another country to fight their interest while this one is falling apart it's just ridiculous the hypocrisy is just uh is something something really shocking well, we all know that these rallies are supposedly for some of the American first Trump uh, endorsed candidates that are running in the midterm elections. Two of the bigs that were joined um, that joined Donald Trump on stage were former administration official Max Miller. Let's hear him uh, as he grabbed the mic for a brief second. This man sees something in people. OK, and what you all need to understand is that this man's vision brought us the greatest four years that we've ever had in this country's history. Did he not? Did he not? Come on. So what I'll tell you is this. What he sees in myself, what he sees in J.D. Vance, what he sees in Madison Gessioto and Mike Carey, are America first fighters that are always going to work for you. People have it backwards in D.C., okay? And then uh, J.D. Vance was with him as well. Uh, Still, to me, one of the more controversial endorsements that he's had. J.D. Vance has been extremely critical of Donald Trump uh, during the first run for the election. And then, you know, it's one of those things where I know people can change, but you just don't want to have to run into the same issues that you've had with people in the past where you gain their endorsements because they've kind of Pied Piper you into thinking that they're okay, and then they get to Washington, D.C., and they vote, you know, along rhino establishment lines or even worse with the left. Let's hear J.D. Vance weigh in a little bit on his endorsement and what he plans for Ohio. Now, I'm honored, honored to have the endorsement of Donald J. Trump for my Senate candidacy in Ohio. The president loves this state. This state loves the president. And on May 3rd, vote J.D. Vance for U.S. Senate, ladies and gentlemen, because I am the America First candidate. And when we get to the Senate, we're going to do something. No more talking, no more slogans, no more politicians who wag their fingers at the corrupt big tech officials and the FBI. It's time for consequences and it's time for action, ladies and gentlemen. First, first, 
Can we please, for the love of God, finish Donald Trump's border wall on the southern border? And he would kind of go along those lines. It was pretty funny. I listened to the whole rally in its entirety because I only caught part of its live. But before he introduced those guys up on stage, he was talking about J.D. Vance. And he's like, the first person I'm going to call up here has talked a lot of shit about me in the past. Nice. And everybody started laughing. He's like, but then again, who hasn't? He's like, if it got to the point to where I wasn't going to endorse anybody who's ever said nasty things about me, I probably wouldn't be giving out too many endorsements. Mm Mm-hmm. So on that level, he kind of makes sense. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to continue to be critical of him until he, if he can get over the finish line, get into Washington, D.C. and start doing, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we want is is the continuation of the America First agenda and those Trump era policies. So we'll we'll just continue to play it by ear and, and see where that goes. But um, I, I think overall... Not bad. He talked about Madison uh, Jezioto, too. She's a really strong candidate who just announced her candidacy. And then he talked about uh, Mike Carey, who we're, we're lining up with to get on the show now. He's a sitting congressman right now that represents, I believe, Ohio 9. And, uh, you know, I think so. It's going to be probably some good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm changing my tune a little bit on J.D. Vance, but it's like one of those things. Let's see what happens. Uh, what is happening now is the economic war on on America, and he weighed in on that. Green New Deal policies, Biden and the Democrat socialists have done what our worst enemies could never, ever have dreamed of doing to our country. What they have done to our country in so many different ways, but look at energy. Our opponents are deliberating and deliberately crippling the most energy-rich nation on the planet. We walk on liquid gold. We walk on liquid gold. And they want us to buy from Venezuela. Let's go over to Venezuela, the dictator that everybody hated so much. And now we're supposed to be buying energy from the dictator from Venezuela who's pushing everybody out so he can have a country all to himself. It'll be him and about 30 people. They're all pouring out of Venezuela. We had Venezuela ready. They're crushing domestic production, driving up prices beyond any form of belief. And for all intents and purposes, waging an economic war against our very own citizens. And that's exactly what it is. One and a half years ago, we were energy independent. Never happened before in our country. And today we're begging OPEC. OPEC is a name. You didn't hear about OPEC for four and a half years. True story. And now you do, as well as Russia. And they're getting... The oil, you know, one of the problems we have with Russia, they've never sold oil for so much. So it comes in through the back door into the United States. We're begging them. Can you imagine we have more than anybody? And we're begging them for oil. And what he's talking about there is how Russian gas will go into Canada and then gets railed into the United States. That's what he means by the back door. In addition to that, you know, begging people like OPEC, and and having to rely on places like Russia for gas when there's ample amounts of it here, to me, is just absolutely ridiculous. But for everyone who's kind of tracking the Russia and Ukraine conflict that's nearing 60 days now, um, Russia has done so good rebounding from all of the sanctions that the world put on them. That was really nice air quotes you put on sanctions. Thank you. They are now deciding who and what to sell gas to as they announced today that effective immediately... And starting tomorrow at the open of the business day, they don't need to sell gas to Poland and Bulgaria anymore because they made enough money and have already rebounded off of all the sanctions we supposedly crippled them with just 58 days ago. Oh, so now they're 
they're using their fuel supplies as punishment. We're not going to sell to you because you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. You, you anyway. want to steal one of our oligarch super yachts, then your entire country is not going to get gas from us. <laughs> Pretty crazy, huh? Do you want to go steal a super yacht? <laughs> I mean, because if that's fair game right now, I could use a super yacht. I, I probably wouldn't be able to afford to run it for more than like a day and a half, but whatever. Geisha seems like she'd be a fan of super yachts. Super yachts? You ever been I there? heard that there were some super yachts in the Dominican Republic, like laying in there. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here? I feel like they were running or something. Oh, they're hiding. Oh, yeah, all the Russian oligarchs, because yeah. when they go to more of the uh, industrialized nations or even NATO-aligned countries, they're just getting seized by the authorities, even though the people literally have nothing to do with the Russian government. <laughs> so... Do, do you guys, because um, I don't know, hearing Trump speaking about, you know, like, or people speaking about the, the wall and, and Maduro and, and you know, Latin America. Sure. Issue, how, how much, um, how much you guys cover sometimes, I don't know if you cover uh, some of the issues in Latin America, like, for example, um, not sure you heard about uh, what the president of Salvador recently uh, did there. Um, they arrested more than 16,000 MS-13 gangs. Um, and because um, they were they were doing literally terrorism within the country. Right. Um, and he exposed, which is something that I, I had to, I, like, I feel the need that the people need to hear this because it gives it gives hopeless countries in Latin America hope that there can be uh, people who will fight against corruption. Uh, he exposed a lot of these organizations like NGOs and kind of like t- telling, you know, that they fund um, a lot of these um, gangs to to cause, you know, chaos and, and, and bring crime into the cities because that's how they make money by studying crime in countries like theirs. So they have to like they need to have crimes in those countries to continue to profit from, you know, from a lot of, uh, you know, it's sort of like how like make, making money out of blood technically is what I'm saying. And they they have increased their military and and their equipment so much and cleaned out. And it's crazy how much um, crime and, and, and how many people the gangs have been killing. And it's and it's interesting because we're going back to how Trump tried to warn people about these gangs and what people said was like, oh, you're a racist for, for this and that, of completely taking out of context that he was talking about specific gangs. They are very, very, very dangerous. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see people standing up um, and saying, you know, no, we're going to, we're going to take you all in jail when like the Democrats are releasing inmates. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's crazy to see how some some things are being held in in one place and how are they being held in a different uh but it gives me it gives me a little bit of hope you know to see uh that things are being done properly uh this is the first time that i see um a president kind of like exposing a lot of these funded crimes uh, you know because we've seen trump talking about how antifa has been also funded and and things like that but the media is just discrediting everything he says um but yeah, like it's it's a, it's a it's an, an interesting thing when when you see that that they're cleaning out and in a way it's like they're they're winning. It's a battle, but you know they're winning. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and, and you know you made a you talk about some of the corruption in the countries and how they're connected to NGOs. We're seeing a lot of that here in the United States now, being exposed with all of these. Uh, well, the influx of of the invasion that's been the migrant crisis since the Biden administration took over. You know, a lot of them are coming with 
well, they're getting told in their countries, if you just get here, you'll get taken care of. And then by getting taken care of, they're getting turned over to Christian charities, Jewish charities, Catholic charities, and stuff like that, and then getting dispersed all over the United States. So, you know, a lot of these NGOs have, have very, very, you know, plausible uh, influence over governments and, and a lot more than, than than the average person would think just because they, even though they're based, like, let's just say domestically here or or in the country like you were talking about now, um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, they have international influence and they have international funding, which is probably the biggest component of that. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that helps back them and uh, allows them to operate as freely and chaotically as they do. Yeah. And uh, and to see someone just just talking about how they they no longer going to or, or just telling the world that this is happening. I think it's so brave to tell the world like this is happening. This is what these organizations are doing. They're profiting uh, out of, you know, saying that there's so much crime in this country and they need to, they need that crime in order to continue to study or do whatever they're saying that they're doing. Um, it was interesting that he also spoke about how the organizations like the human right activists started to complain and say, oh, this is so bad how you're treating the prisoners because he took out one of the meals of the, the three, you know, three meals a day that the prisoners had and the, the civil rights, they all came, you know, like the rights um the activists came and say, oh, that's, that's against the rights and stuff. And he said, like, well, was that against the right of the people that they killed? And um, is it fair if people in, in El Salvador are struggling to get food? Yeah. Uh, and, and when they can buy a meal, uh, those taxes, like if they can buy beans, those taxes will go to the inmates so they can eat chicken. He said, like, you know, I think it's fair to to to, you know, give people what they you know they deserved and then it was it was incredible I was really um surprised of how he handled everything he's like yeah I saw people trying to complain and do protest against how we're treating the inmates but who were these people these were the family members of the inmates of course they're going to complain mm. but no one you know it's like and then they say these NGOs and none of them complained about the amount of, of of crime and violence when the country was one of the most violent countries in the world I was really like I didn't know that um until he talked about it and 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 that's why I, I do love whenever um, Trump also exposes a lot of the things that, that are going on, because I know a lot of people didn't know that many of these things were happening until he started exposing. Um, and then, of course, some newspapers used to call him a dictator as well, um, this president. Uh, but people are very happy with what they're seeing. So we have hopes, you know. No, we certainly do. And it sounds like whether you're talking about domestically or internationally, the singles are crossed. Signals? Yeah. The singles. The singles are crossed. And a uh, lot of, yeah. A lot of the people in my country and in other countries follow this president too because of how he's dealing with things. So, in a way, other countries are also finding out about these NGOs profiting about these things. You know, it's like one one domino falls and then it's like everyone is starting to wake up about how uh, corrupt uh, some of these organizations are. Yeah. And 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 it's just, you know, it's a little by little people are just being more aware of what's going on because, uh, you know, like a, a lot of the things in, 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 in outside of the U.S., they just follow you know the what what they see on on like cnn they don't they don't really you don't you don't see conservative newspapers almost in latin america or or anything it's just like one-sided 
unless unless you are a different site on your own but then you're gonna get shadow banned again it's the yep. same <clears throat> same thing yeah you make a really excellent point there and uh are hitting the nail directly on the head let's hear trump weigh in on some of these cross singles ever had anything like this and we have a president right now sadly who has absolutely no idea what the hell is happening <laughs> he's shaking hands with the air he's walking around somewhat bewildered <laughs> it's, it's no good and taking orders from the easter bunny you saw that one no 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 you know the easter bunny was a political operative <laughs> He did a good job, actually. That guy, we should hire that guy. He was very good. He said, no, no, don't talk. Don't talk. Don't talk to those people. And he's doing all of this while Putin does nothing but talk about nuclear weapons and destroying the world. We have our signals very crossed in our country. We've never had a situation like this. The choice this November is very simple. If you want to keep America in a death spiral of crime, look at what's happening on crime with these Democrat-run cities. Chaos, craziness, corruption, and historic national catastrophes. You must absolutely go out and vote for the radical Democrats. (laughs) He would stay in the same thread and talk about who we're really fighting up against here, and that is one of the things is he's made kind of a centerpiece of uh, a lot of these Save America rallies. It's the sinister forces. Despite great outside powers and dangers, our biggest threat remains the sick, sinister, and evil people from within our own country. There is no threat as dangerous to democracy as they are. Just look at the unselect committee of political hacks and what they're doing to our country while radical left murderers, rapists, and insurrectionists roam free. Nothing happens to them. But no matter how big or powerful these corrupt radicals may be, you must never forget this nation does not belong to them. This nation belongs to you. This is your home. This is your heritage. You know, he touched on January 6th real quick before we get into the outro. I, I talked to Christina Bob yesterday for quite a while. We were texting back and forth. And I, no, I don't know if you've seen the article that came out from Breitbart. You know, she did have to go and face a six-hour grilling before the January 6th unselect committee. And the, the focal point of calling her in there was why she shared a Mel Gibson meme on the morning of January 6th. <laughs> So I said, we're gonna definitely going to have some fun when she comes back with us on the 20th of May uh, to ask her about that. But, uh, you know, Geisha, you just touched on it. You didn't know that that clip was coming next, but you were talking about how sometimes the biggest elements of uh, things that destabilize the country are the things that operate within it. And he talked about those things um, and, mm. and how, you know, he calls them the sick, twisted, and sinister forces. But at the end of the day, it's the radical progressive left. <laughs> it's the uh, unabated freedom that they have across social medias and even things involving NGOs, um, you know, that are really causing the most division in this country right now. And it's pretty sad to hear it. Yep. And, uh, you know, when, when media is complicit and lies about it, so you think you're doing the right thing by supporting some of these organizations that, that disguise themselves as, oh, we are saviors. We actually care about your country. We want to help you. But it's the complete opposite. 
And that was also mentioned on that speech is like that was that's a, they're doing the complete opposite of what they stand for. And people deserve to know the truth, uh, even, you know, even if that means that we will continue to talk about it whenever some of these things are happening. So people know the, the truth of, of what it is. Uh, I hate when people get manipulated and lied. It's just, it's so, you know, it's like having, being, being every, you work so hard for something and, and then they take every penny away from you uh, with like lies and manipulation and just, yeah. Oh, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, we definitely are. And uh, in our last audio clip with you today, we're going to actually play the outro of the Trump rally. Who doesn't love the outro of a Trump rally? Everybody loves the outro <laughs> mm-hmm. of a Trump rally. Let's hear it. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We're going to fight for America like no one has ever fought before. We will not let radical left lunatics or rhinos take away from us Throwing the rhinos in there what now. has been so brilliantly forged over nearly 250 years. These are sick people who are making our country sick, but we are the doctors and the nurses and the professionals who will fix it and make it better and maybe healthier than ever before. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever back down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand a chance of victory because we are Americans and Americans kneel to God and to God alone. So my fellow citizens, this incredible journey we're on together has only just begun. It's only just begun. This is a movement like no other. It's only just begun. And it is time to start talking about greatness for our country, not other things that make no sense whatsoever. We want to start talking about our country and greatness again. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious American nation. So with the help of everyone here today and citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Ohio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, I like it. I can't imagine him like dancing right now. Just like oh, he was. He gave a little, his little like three or four claps and then hit the little <laughs> choke. Then. There, there was a lot Spirit of people. Fingers. Yeah, the, the, the battlegroundness of Ohio is alive and well. There was a lot of people there. It was a daytime rally. People didn't have to wait as long. It wasn't as cold. 
And uh, really receptive audience there for some of the candidates that he's trying to push four or five. He also said Mike Lindell throughout the course of the thing was the best ad buyer in the history of television. I guess there's like some cheat code where if you buy like the first 10 or the last 10 seconds of any kind of spot on a show going in and out that's open, you get it at like some ridiculous reduced rates, probably up to 66% off. That's why he uses it. But uh, in addition to that, you know, he had on a couple other things. He gave some kudos to law enforcement and uh, talked about ending Nancy Pelosi's career. But I, I think the fact of the matter is, is that the movement's alive and well. As long as, you know, we're going to continue to go full steam into the midterm elections, he's going to continue to do the Save America rallies. And what he's got going on right now is, uh, is a huge rallying of the base. So, Geisha, it's been way too long since you've been on. Uh, I'm going to do better. as I, I'm, Well, first I'm going to fire the scheduler, who is me, and then rehire a better one, which will also be me. And then I'll make sure that you're on at a time very much sooner uh, than the break we've taken now because our audience really loves when you're on. It's some of our most downloaded shows for sure. And uh, we love your opinion and value your friendship. So we miss you. We hope you come out here and visit sometime soon. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for, you know, handling my awkwardness sometimes. You know, how I, I sometimes I get kind of my favorite part. Uh, yeah, you did call Raheem Kassam a robot to his face one time. So <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Uh, consequently, he hasn't been back since. So hopefully we you know, we've got him locked in for a third one. It's, it's coming up soon. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait to see what happens with that. But Geisha, we want to direct everyone to follow all of your shadow band accounts across social media as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they are. The, you know, you know that better. Oh, Geisha Montes, G-E-I-S-H-A-M-O-N-T-E-S. I think that with that account, you can find all the other ones because, you know, everywhere, even even true social, it's, it's all Geisha Montes. Not, you know, just going to figure it out. I just followed you on there today nice. and we'll, we'll live link that in your link tree in the show description today. And then uh, as we're getting ready to cut with you and bring in Thomas Massey's primary challenger in Kentucky for Claire Worth, we'll let her audio key up. All right. Joining us next on the show today, she is an America first always candidate looking to run and represent Kentucky for in the house in the upcoming midterm elections coming in for the first time. Miss Claire Worth, thanks for joining us on Steak for breakfast today. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Um, so far, so good. You know, just it's we're in the we're in the home stretch here, so we're working hard every single day and uh, trying to wrap up this race. Can you give our listenership a primary uh, date? Right. So the primary is May seventeenth. Nice. We got a live link that in the show description today with all of your stuff. So you guys, you're in a pretty heated race. It's an interesting one as well. You know, we've seen so many uh, two big candidates in one house seat resonate a lot across the country. This year, some of the ones that we, we've covered uh, specifically has been Robbie Starbuck in Tennessee 5, Mike Collins in, in Georgia 10, uh, Anthony Sabatini down in Florida 7, and now you. Um, how's that race been, and, and how have you been received getting out there and running in a, in a for a house seat that's been occupied by Thomas Massey for some time? Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of career politicians being primary this year, especially mm -hmm. ones that certified the stolen election. Um, you know, I think it's going pretty well. I'm obviously in Kentucky and Mitch McConnell territory. <laughs> it's difficult going yeah. up against um, establishment members. It's hard to undo the narrative um, that's already set precedent for so long and, and just trying to let people know what's really going on in Kentucky. In Kentucky's fourth, we are the third most red district in the nation. And Thomas Massey has the eighth most liberal voting record. So he voted against the wall. I mean, you know, strategic pieces of legislation under Trump uh, three times voted against the wall, voted to certify Biden as president. Um, the list just goes on and on. Um, and just, you know, when I let the voters know that, 
and they're completely unnerved. They're upset. It's, it's horrible. So, I mean, it's, I think we're doing a good job and we're, you know, there's a lot of good information coming out. Yeah, there certainly is. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, Thomas Massey is one of the ones who seems to, you know, pow around with a lot of the house Republicans who were popular, but at the same time, I know Donald Trump's referred to him as a grandstander in the past because he, he'll say one thing, let's just say on social media, talk about, you know, some libertarian principles, things that line up with the America First movement. But then when it comes to his voting record, unfortunately, when you're already in the House of Representatives, you have something that's going to chronologically document all of the things you're either for or against. And when you just kind of line them up with Trump era policies, I would say more often than not, they don't align up with them very much at all. Absolutely not. So what you're seeing here is a Trojan horse, right? He talks and he tweets. He tweets like a Republican, but he votes like a Democrat. And obviously incumbents, they have a, a huge advantage where, you know, they can get as much media time. They can do whatever they want to paint that picture. And it's up to us, you know, true Republicans to come out and undo the narrative. But um, for sure, it's a it's a Trojan horse. He's a never Trumper. And I think I've um, I've irked him a little bit. So now, you know what I appreciate that was he's being honest. And um, just to give him a compliment, uh, he is being more and more honest about, you know, him not being a Trump supporter. Um, you know, him not being in favor of the wall has a lot to do with him being a libertarian and believing in open borders. And, you know, that's where the libertarians and Republicans are going to disagree a little bit is we um, our social issues. I believe uh, abortion is is not OK. I'm pro-life all the way. And libertarians, they're they're more pro-choice. So and that's where we differ. And Thomas Massey being a libertarian, he said it multiple times before. He's gonna believe in those open borders. I lived in Arizona. Um, I know what it's like to be on the border, to live on the border. I worked with Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Um, I know how awful it is. And in Kentucky, 75% of the overdoses are fentanyl related, which came over our open border that Massey refuses to protect. Yeah, there's some excellent points you make there. There are too many rhinos in the House of Representatives right now. We see a lot of them either retiring or, or in your case, getting primaried. And when it comes to, you know, let's just talk about things that resonate with the people of Kentucky. I don't think open borders, I mean, that kills the workforce. It increases crime. Uh, Pro-life yeah. is something that I'm sure is, is, is something that's very strongly looked on in this great state of Kentucky. And then, you know, the opioid crisis and, and, and the fentanyl stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, in contrast to the open borders, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a state that's so red. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's just the people, we need the people to wake up and see um, what's going on. And, you know, I can't do that alone. So we've got an army of people and um, I mean, we're doing the best we can, but I know that my race is not unique. I know this kind of stuff is happening all over the nation. Um, you know, the best and worst thing about COVID, right? was that, I mean, it was horrible. We were all locked down, but the best thing about it was we were able to see what was going on in our children's schools for once and, you know, that they're being indoctrinated. And the best and worst thing about January 6th was we, you know, we're able to see who, what Republicans are what. What Republicans certified a stolen election and would not come out and say it was stolen. You know, Thomas Massey blamed Trump for the violence on January 6th. Um, you know, he did not think that there was it, the election was stolen. And it's those kind of Republicans where, I mean, they brought they were able to bring themselves out. We didn't have to guess who it was anymore. It's very obvious. No, you're you're, you're right there. And, and Tom Massey did come out and, and was openly against, you know, not supporting Donald Trump and, and, and getting over that hump there. And then when you talk about leadership in the House, we've seen some developments with Kevin McCarthy over the last week or so. Some leaked tapes from The New York Times ahead of their book that's getting ready to come out. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has said 
uh, to this point, their relationship is okay. But then you had Don Jr., you know, running the news cycle this weekend, running out supporting some candidates all across the country, like uh, uh, Blake Masters and Eric Greitens, namely, and, and and trying to get some endorsements for them. But he also talked about some big red flags that are going on with Kevin McCarthy right now. What do you think is, is you know, what seems so not, you know, able to attain in the House maybe just a few weeks ago because of the amount of money that Kevin McCarthy brings in. Now there's some real concerns that we might have to find somebody to to challenge him for leadership in the House after the midterms. Yeah, I think um, that that has to happen. I think we need new leadership across the board, but we, we are in a we are in dire need of new leadership. And I think Madison Cawthorn, when he did that interview more recently, everyone heard it. Very, very telling. You yeah. know, and then here he is just a couple of days later. And you know who he was told by that he had to retract and say, well, maybe it wasn't exactly what I was saying. I think that there's I think there's a lot going on there behind closed doors. And I think that we need new leadership across the board. Um, you know, obviously, leadership tries to control these candidates and, you know, representatives. It's it's horrible. I'd, I'd like to see a lot of turnover. Sure. And, and we would as well. I want to talk, touch on your background a little bit. You've you've been pretty successful in the building community. You want to let our listenership know what you've done mm-hmm. uh, prior to making your announcement to run for Kentucky Four? Right. So I manage um, uh, 1,100 1100 accredited investors. So I do mainly commercial real estate. Um, a lot of uh, 1031 exchanges, we deal primarily with um, with physicians and trying to offset their income, um, revitalization projects, trying to bring Louisville back to life, breathe new air into it. Got um, a whole lot of projects going on right now and trying to couple that with a campaign. It's been very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's been uh, that's been my background. Nice. And then you, you, you were already talked about how strong of an advocate you are down on the southern border. Um, I know that you've been there several times, and like you said, you've lived in Arizona and, and paired with Sheriff Joe Apio there. Uh, you want to touch about how important it is right now to make sure that after the midterm elections, we really start to uh, pump the brakes on what the Biden administration's agenda is for down there? Oh, absolutely. So when I was on the southern border more recently, I, I talked to Border Patrol, and so their, their staff has been cut by half. Um, so they're operating at a skeleton crew. Um, it's horrible. Uh, they can't keep up with what's going on. And the cartels are, are up armored. I mean, they look like their own army. And we had special forces at the border, our special forces from the United States fighting cartels while I was down there. I'm not easily scared. I mean, I'm running for United States Congress. I'm not easily shaken in Mitch McConnell's territory. Um, but I was, I'll tell you what, I was scared at the border. And um, Joe has been preaching it for a long time. And to live in a state where, you know, we're doing absolutely nothing to protect our southern border is a huge disgrace. We have 200,000 illegal immigrants crossing our poorest border every single month. And that number is, you know, it's about to go to 500,000 illegal immigrants a month. We spend $130 billion on illegal immigration a year, um, you know, and we're running at a $30 trillion um, debt. And so, you know, none of it makes sense. And it, it goes to show you that Democrats' true agenda and, um, you know, we squandered the opportunity when we had the majority in the House and the Senate and the presidency. These are all things we could have taken care of to prevent it where we are right now. And we had such weak leadership that nothing got done. And now we're dealing with the aftermath. And it's inc- it's awful. Yeah, we sure are. And it's, it's one of the great things I think you touch on, something that a lot of people forget or just don't get really too much into because of the you see the staggering numbers of people and the amount of drugs that are crossing the border, but then you don't talk enough right. about the men and women who are down there trying to defend it and their, their depleted workforce, the crushed morale, uh, the amount of depressions. There's been a lot of suicides. There's been a few deaths, more deaths. If you go back and link it to some of the exposure they, 
they incurred during the, the COVID narrative when people who were sick were allowed to just cross and, you know, be in locked facilities with them and stuff like that. And it's good that you're dialed in so much that you can really bring some attention to the actual numbers, not just to the people crossing and the amount of drugs coming across, but the people who are down there trying to work to defend our nation's sovereignty and uh, who are getting pretty badly beat up down there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's horrible. I, I adopted a little girl from foster care in Kentucky who was born dependent on fentanyl, which came across our southern border. And, you know, we just we can't think that these things aren't happening. I mean, I've I've heard I've had to deal with I've seen what it's like to have an open border and we need somebody to represent us that truly understands the issues and has been there in, in the trenches and understands and it doesn't feel as though we do at this moment. That's amazing that you've gone ahead and made that adoption. And in addition to the fact that, uh, you know, um, you, you mentioned the children and the indoctrination, you would think in a place that's as red as Kentucky, it might not be as huge of an issue. Unfortunately it is. And it is in a lot of places um, that people would not suspect it is uh, to this point. You want to touch on some of the stuff that's going on down there uh, in regards to, you know, some of the curriculum in schools and what's going on with the kids. And then um, some things that you're proposing to move forward to maybe have more of an America first agenda in the classroom as well. Absolutely. Well, I'll do what I can on a federal level, right? I think I can influence a lot of change. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of those things are going to have to happen at a state level. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a coalition of moms where I live who are, you know, bankrolling other mothers to take over the school boards completely. We're seeing what everybody else is seeing in schools um, across the nation, which is, you know, they're teaching our kids that they can choose what gender they want to be. They are teaching, you know, CRT under different guises there. I mean, we're seeing it across the country. Um, we'd be naive to think that it weren't happening in every single district across America because it's exactly, I mean, it's it's happening across America. And you're seeing more people homeschool, which I think is great, yeah. but not everybody can homeschool. I would love to homeschool. I have five children. There's no way, and I'm not a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no way I'm going to be able to homeschool. We just need to take back our schools, support school choice, um, and get charter schools in there. I think we should let the public school system fail. They failed our children for years. I, I think that we should... Um, get rid of the Department of Education, not just put an amendment forward, but put a bill forward to get rid of the Department of Education. The federal government has no right to tell us what we should be teaching our children. And right now they are, and they are indoctrinating them. It's uh, it's horrible. I hate it. No, you make an excellent point. You know, Randy Weingarten went around and, and did the rounds on the uh, news circuit this weekend. And some of the things that I noticed that were pretty alarming to me was the fact that she was touching on like all things related to covid uh, things related to, you know, the curriculum that should and shouldn't be in schools and that parents shouldn't have any control over that. And probably the most important one was when you talk about the whole transgender or just like some of the secrecy that goes around with what your kids do at school, kind of trying to like she made it said like their ultimate goal is to pretty much cut parents out of the picture when it comes to making decisions for their kids. And that's just I, I don't know how you could even ever get behind that. Anyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. How, I mean, these are the same people that are like, okay, with pedophilia and are okay with the crap that Disney does too, right? Um, there's no rhyme or reason. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to people, normal people <laughs> that grew up with values and, and want to keep those values and want to keep the American dream alive and well. It, it will never make sense to us. You can't make sense out of nonsense. And we need to stop trying because yeah, sh- it's never going to happen. <laughs> no, we sure do. And you make an excellent point there. What are some of the things you have coming up on the campaign trail now moving forward? Oh my goodness. Um, I just know we're doing as many interviews as we can. We're knocking those doors. We're getting out to voters. Um, it's been great. We're, we're hitting all the markets. So we're doing everything we can full steam ahead. And so um, we'll see, we'll see how this plays out. We going to have a debate at some point. 
Well, actually, <laughs> funny you mentioned it. Um, Monday, we were uh, supposed to have the debate locally. Um, I've agreed. Um, we have not heard back from Thomas Massey. Doesn't mean that he won't. We just have not heard back as of yet. So um, I would love a debate. I've been looking forward to a debate since the moment I entered this race. Um, I would love to debate Thomas Massey anytime, anywhere. I would fly to D.C. or pay for his Tesla gas money or whatever <laughs> to come here and debate <laughs> as well. No, I like it. You know, it's, it's pretty funny. And our listenership is pretty dialed into this. The more and more true America First candidates we get on here, whether or not they've received an endorsement or they might be on the other side of the coin and haven't received an endorsement, you might have a candidate who's running in a race, whether it be for governor or senator or in the House, that uh, is actually America First. And then, unfortunately, an establishment pick got the endorsement from, let's say, Donald Trump. And, and for some reason, the one that's running on the real America First principles, the Trump-era legacy, uh, can't get the person who's running in the establishment to get you know, for a debate. It just seems like it's pretty funny because they don't want to, number one, embarrass themselves, and number two, embarrass the, maybe the president who, who endorsed them probably wrongly. We've seen it with, uh, you know, in Jake Paquette's district for sure. I know Vernon Jones yeah. is in no rush to, to debate Mike Collins, and then nobody wants to go near people like Robbie Starbuck or Anthony Sabatini because those guys got receipts, they got facts, they're well-versed, and they've been doing it for a long time. So we're seeing the same exact things with you which is where we want to direct our listenership to to support you in your endeavors to represent Kentucky for. So if you want to tell us where we could find you across social medias and then your campaign website. So on um, Builder Claire, you can find me at www.builderclaire.com. And then on Facebook and Twitter, um, the, the Twitter handle is just Claire Worth. And um, yeah, I would look forward to all the support. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to remember that President Trump did not say that he would not endorse in this race. Right. And so, I mean... We'll see what happens. Like um, our polls say that if Trump endorses, that person will inevitably win. And um, I I do not think that Thomas Massey will ever receive a Trump endorsement. I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> if there's one thing I think everyone can, can pretty much agree on that. Yeah. yeah, if there's one thing that we could we can conclusively rule on throughout the course of this interview, it's that Thomas Massey will not be endorsing any <laughs> Donald Trump or receiving any Donald Trump endorsements and that you are working really hard and we hope as we continue to support you in your endeavors to run or to represent Kentucky for that you will get it at some point, hopefully after that debate, when you tear it up there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on with us as well. This is the woman who's looking to represent Kentucky for in the upcoming midterm elections in the U S house of representatives, Ms. Claire worth. Thanks for joining us on steak for breakfast. Thank you guys. Well, it was great having Geisha on and then segueing right to Claire worth. She seems like a more than viable candidate to uh, challenge Thomas Massey in the upcoming primary election there. What do you think? Noah? Yeah. Solid, solid, solid options. We have a lot of solid options. Just hopefully they all get across the finish line. Yeah, I, I think to say the least. And someone who always gets over the finish line with us, like I just mentioned, is Geisha Montez. She's one of our favorite guests and uh, good friends. Someone who's not really a good friend of Steak for Breakfast. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Pocahontas herself. Nobody likes her. It was her turn to make the Sunday uh, news cycle this week. And she was out there talking about a couple things. One, surprisingly, the southwest border, which we'll get to in a little bit, was one of them. But the other one was the recently released tapes uh, from the New York Times that Liz Cheney apparently recorded talking about uh, her conversations with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy during and around the time surrounding January 6th. Let's hear Elizabeth Warren weigh in before we get to uh, hopefully not Speaker McCarthy. There we go. 
I want to ask about something the New York Times reported uh, this past week. They revealed new audio from revealed. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy from the days immediately following January 6th. They sat on it for a uh, year and a half. Listen to what he said in two separate calls that, again, the New York Times reported. He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened, and he needs to acknowledge that. The only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should be done. You know, he's not saying that now. What's your reaction? Kevin McCarthy is a liar and a traitor. Oh. Uh, this is outrageous. And that is really the, the, the illness that, that pervades the Republican leadership right now. That they say one thing to the American public and something else in private. They understand that it is wrong. What happened? We need the Atlanta Braves tomahawk chop to play in the background every time she talks. Uh, and that the Republicans instead want to continue to try to figure out how to make 2020 election different instead of spending their energy on how it is that we go forward in order to build an economy, in order to make this country work better for the people who sent us to Washington. Shame on Kevin McCarthy. Shame on you for saying all that stuff when you haven't worked on anything to benefit the American people for the better part of a year and a half now. Yeah, absolute utter garbage. Good job letting her slide with uh, no garrison button. However, don't worry, we'll get another lick at her later. Figuratively, of course. Um, Kevin McCarthy was out with his constituency over the weekend. He was cornered after a speaking event and asked about some of that stuff that went down um, late Friday when, when Randy Maddow originally released the tapes from the New York Times. It's funny how these people act like uh, these tapes have been just magically appeared and that they haven't been around since, you know, all the way on January 6th. And if they really weren't a huge fucking nothing burger, uh, then everybody would have been talking about it since then. But let's hear him try to defend himself. Congressman, um, have you spoken with President Trump recently? Did you speak with him last night? I oh, know I spoke to him twice today. I just spoke to him an hour ago. How was your conversation? Uh, did you talk to him about uh, the New York Times report and the conversation you had about potentially well, asking him to resign? Because the conversation here is what they what they said we did. We never did. I mean, I, I never asked President Trump to resign. Uh, we both talked about that. Uh, you spoke about, with him about resigning. No, let me be very clear. I have never asked the president to resign. So what the book uh, Why is he whispering? said was not true. I never asked the president to resign. Um, we talked about the ability to win the majority back in Congress. We're mm. looking at inflation we haven't seen since the 70s. Gas prices higher than we've ever imagined. Crime in our I'm envisioning you garrisoning him on it every single one of these times. Yeah, I just... My hand's um, tired from garrisoning so much. We just had a report today of a Texas um, um, officer drowning trying to save an individual crossing the border illegally. An officer? The amount of drugs that have been coming across the border. Fentanyl is now the number one cause of death for those in America between the ages of 18 and All right, so quick segue after saying he never talked to Donald Trump. So, so what was going on? You know, if you, if you haven't been able to wrap your brain around this whole New York Times leak which isn't really a leak because I'm sure all the Dems have had it forever and they probably like played it at parties and laughed about it and said, oh, yeah, let's hold this to the closer to the midterm so we can really like fuck them over. The fact of the matter is, is like talking with one of your colleagues about hypotheticals, which may have included stepping down from president, which was never going to be a viable option after January 6th, is one thing. 
But if he never brought it up with Donald Trump, and Donald Trump's going to either swallow his pride and say he never brought it up to him, or it really organically didn't happen, then that's just another. But uh, I think War Room and some of our friends, good friends at the apparatus over there. Ooh, apparatus. There you go. Oh, I was also going to, I'm going to request a, a bell ding for every time I nail apparatus. To nice. So we really got to hit these, uh, these big ones home. Uh, they were talking about Kevin McCarthy yesterday and, and, and what the biggest issue is with him, that if he's not going to buy into 100% Make America Great Again, MAGA, Save America, America First Movement, which he's not. He's funding some of these candidates who are running against people like Joe Kent, Mike Collins, Robbie Starbucks, the list goes on and on. Then someone's going to have to step up. You know, people are starting to push Jim jo- Jim Jordan to the front right now, and and I don't know if that's necessarily what he wants to do. I don't know if that's necessarily where he'll be best at, but that's what's kind of happening. His name's starting to come up in, in more regular conversations since these McCarthy tapes came out over the weekend. Let's hear Boris Epstein talking with our great friend Steve Bannon on the apparatus known as War Room. It might have been Steak for Battleground. I'm not sure. <laughs> But they were talking about Kevin McCarthy and talking about him going full MAGA. Get the fuck out. The second most important person, and I could actually make an argument in many cases. The founder set the Speaker of the House up to have massive power. Mm -hmm. Does he rate that power? And there's only two choices. Full MAGA, and he's got to show MAGA by actions, not words, because we're tired of the words. Or we all know he talks gone. to President Trump. And let's replace let's replace him. And I think there's a couple of good candidates, maybe even a team that could do this. And the, and they're misreading President Trump maybe having a nice conversation, taking the phone call. I don't speak for President Trump, and Boris, you don't speak for President Trump. But mm, we know President Trump well enough. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. He's a g- gentleman. Don't misinterpret him taking a call and being a gentleman with what you need to do for MAGA. Either you're all in. Or you're gone because facts. Yeah, doesn't seem like it's too hard to kind of wrap your brain around. It's probably a lot of people that should just be gone. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the uh, money machine that is the Beltway is going to prevent that from happening. But you do make an excellent point. Um, so we're going to continue to track that. I've heard uh, on the back channels that there are as many as two or three more of these audio leaks nothing burgers of Kevin McCarthy either talking shit about Donald Trump. I've seen some of the bigger accounts of the Patriot takes bullshit account on Twitter today has been leaking text messages between Kevin McCarthy and, you know, people like Andrew Clyde and some other people in the houses that have either been like saying, all right, this is fucking enough. We got to get Donald Trump out of here all the way through. Like I support president Trump. We got to get over this little January 6th blip, and then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We, we just got to continue to support them. Like, they've been leaking text messages and conversations from And it's all ahead of this New York Times books, which I hope absolutely tanks. It should. Um, but I do want to touch on what's going down on the southern border a little bit now. Uh, surprisingly enough, in the same conversation, fire up the garrison button for this one, Oof. Elizabeth Warren teased, imagine our shock, that Joe Biden is putting plans in place for full amnesty at the southern border. And to me, that is just absolutely shocking. But let's hear her talk about it a little bit more specifically. You support lifting Title 42. So what is your plan to, uh, to handle a likely surge in migrants? And are you confident that they will be treated humanely? 
Look, Title 42 is not consistent with our values, right. and it doesn't keep us safer. Uh, the Biden administration is putting plans in place to deal with people who are asking for uh, amnesty and humanitarian relief at the border. But keep in mind, we need comprehensive immigration reform. And that's something all the Democrats are on board for. We have to work out the details. We still need to be in that fight, though. That's where we need to make significant change. You support. What do you think about that, Noah? It doesn't keep us safe. I thought they, they were saying it kept us safe. I thought Isn't the, the whole re- point of doing it was to keep us safe. Supposedly, the only reason it was there and, and being utilized was to keep us safe. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but. Didn't- do you play didn't one on doc- television? Didn't, didn't doctors tell us that? Do you play one on television? I don't. Mm. Not not today. Mm. Jen Psaki was grilled yesterday. If only. In a perfect world. What the federal government plan on doing to manage the crisis at the border, especially as it's about to ramp up, her, her answer probably won't surprise you. Snarky. Border communities often, you know, say that they've requested more. I just like that it's coming from all the reporters now. Manpower to, to help manage these kinds of um, these kinds of issues. Is that being looked at? Is that being is that being? Can you give me a more specific request or a specific person or? You, you mentioned this, that this you reporter, know, this, this by the way, Noah, was a, she's a smoke um, and a non-mask wearer. You know, the state is in charge of Good that. For her. in charge of that, but. There have been requests from the Texas governor, from you know, to to send more, um, you know, to help help people who are in this position at the border, who are now trying to deal with an influx of migrants that they know is going to only increase, as you just mentioned, after Title 42 is lifted. Um, you've talked about having a humanitarian, um, you know, sort of system in place to deal with people coming across and increase vaccinations and that kind of thing. Oh, but in terms of can't forget know, about increased vaccinations at the border. Well, I would just say if we just dial it back a few years to kind of what we inherited here, uh, the former president invested billions of dollars in a border wall that was never going to work or be effective instead of working towards comprehensive immigration reform. As part of the president's proposal, he put forward on his first day in office, he proposed investing in smarter security at the border, something he'd be happy to work uh, with governors on. And and certainly we're, we're open to having that conversation whenever they're ready to do that. Go ahead. You know, Christina Bob said it best after... And Coulter said it best first. I don't care what anybody says about implementing more technology at the border. For every sensor and drone and camera that you install, they will do nothing short of just taking pictures of the people who are crossing effortlessly into our country. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to have cameras and sensors and still all of our Border Patrol agents are going to be handing out Capri Suns and Lunchables to immigrants while they're waiting to get processed sounds delicious yes well i don't know if they get lunchables sticking on the same thread and in our last audio clip of the day jen Psaki was asked because we are now at day five since the uh u.s national guardsman lost his life so they haven't found the body for real they did the the body was flag draped and removed from the rio grande yesterday um but the Biden administration regime, if you will, has yet to put out a statement thanking him for his service or at least saying the loss of life in any context is unfortunate. She was asked yesterday on this, Noah, you, you get really hot on, on some of these threads. Like this one is definitely going to not impress you. Uh. 
Jen, um, I don't believe the White House so far has commented on the death of um, Bishop Evans, the 22-year-old National Guard uh, specialist who's trying to save two migrants. I wanted to give you an opportunity to say some words. Yes, thank you for that, Jackie. And the news of the confirmation that his body had been uh, found um, was confirmed just a couple of hours ago. Um, I would note that, um, of course, our heart uh, goes out to his family and to his loved ones. Um, I would, it, to confirm all the specific details, he went missing uh, on Friday following his selfless efforts to rescue two migrants who appeared to be drowning, it's a prepared uh, statement. who were trying to cross a river in Mexico that went to the United States, uh, went into the U.S., of course. Uh, we know that National Guard personnel, including, uh, including uh, him, risk their lives every day to serve and protect others. Uh, and again, our, our hearts go out to his family. I don't have any, in case you may ask, I don't have any updates at this moment in terms of the president's outreach, but if, uh, if that is something I can update you on this afternoon, I will let you know. Does the White House feel any responsibility for his death, given that uh, there, there's reporting that he lost his life, uh, allegedly trying to save uh, two migrants who were smuggling drugs? This yep. is a, a problem that you know the administration has been facing for some time and is obviously as we've been discussing getting some criticism on is does the white house feel at all responsible what what more can you offer to people who you know are on the border in border communities who are experiencing loss and, and trials like this well, I, I, of course, we are mourning the, the loss of his life, and we are grateful for the work of every National Guardsman. I would note that mm. the National Guard work for the states, and so he is an employee of the Texas, Texas National Guard, oh. and his efforts and his operation were directed by there, not by the federal government uh, in this in this effort, in this apparatus. Uh, uh, we've we've long stated that our immigration system is broken. There needs to be more done to invest in smarter security, to have a more effective asylum processing system, and we would welcome any efforts to, uh, for, for any elected officials to work with us on that. So regardless of what happened and how this young person died and who he was trying to save. He works for Texas. It's been confirmed that he was trying to save two people who were apprehended trying to smuggle drugs into the United States. They weren't any kind of migrants or asylum seekers. So their bails got soggy and they started to sink? She said, and I'm paraphrasing, if Greg Abbott wasn't fucking around and putting National Guardsmen in places where there aren't any Border Patrol people to operate within the context of their jobs just based off of numbers alone, then this young man wouldn't have died. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I know it's been a long one, but that, that, that one hurts. That's disrespectful. Yeah, on every level. And to not have Joe Biden... To try to use that horrible thing happening deliver a snarky blow mm -hmm. like fuck you yeah god i hate her yeah, it's really ugly and uh just another classless example of how this regime is currently operating uh how much longer till she's fucking gone it's almost may i heard first week of may so who knows what we're gonna be getting after her it might be uh jean pierre Bleh. or they might bring in a completely new face to uh represent the White House in an official spokesperson context, but we'll have to see. We are going to change gears right now, and coming up in our last interview on this huge Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can't get any more America first than this. We've already had on two of the biggest senatorial candidates in the country, primary challenger for Thomas Massey. Geisha Montez is back, and she's about to get her American citizenship. Yes. And now we're going to bring it all home 
with our favorite trucker and America First Patriot coming out of Georgia 10. Mr. Mike Collins is going to be joining us in his first standalone interview on Steak for Breakfast. So as we let his audio gear up, all right, joining us last on the program today, he's back for a whopping third time before the primary start and early voting does uh, May 2nd in the great state of Georgia. He's looking to represent Georgia 10 in the upcoming midterm elections. Mr. Mike Collins, thanks for coming back with us again on Steak for Breakfast today. Well, thank you guys for having me. Mike, how's everything been going on the campaign trail? You know, we're, st- we're still seeing a lot of uh, push, a lot of momentum. The wind's, uh, you know, still at our back and it feels good uh, out there every day. You know, for example, I, this morning we started out uh, here at the office trying to trying to get thank you cards out and get uh, get some of our back office work done. And we we had a luncheon that we had to attend. Then after that, we knew we had a little bit of time before this. So we knocked on doors for about two and a half hours. And now we'll do this podcast. And we speak tonight at seven o'clock. So that's just how much interest there is in people wanting to make sure that uh, that we get in front of enough people. Uh, before this uh, actual voting starts. Yeah, you guys have one of the most comprehensive ground games, I think, out of any race uh, for the U.S. House in the country. You guys have covered so much ground, knocked on so many doors, and and put up so many signs. It's just not – it's impossible almost to see your face uh, anywhere within the parameters of Georgia 10. How's that experience been, getting to, like, really meet the people face-to-face and talk to them about some of the issues that are important to the country and not the stuff that they may see every night in the legacy media? You know what I, I tell you, and this is what I tell people when I knock on their door and, and, and tell them, hey, you know, we we will hit the 14,000th door one day this week that we that we're knocking on. And and I tell it's refreshing to see that when I step up and I tell them who I am and I hand them the literature and I, and I explain to them what why I'm running and uh, where I'm from and who I am and to get the feedback of my God, we need somebody up there to fight. And it's refreshing to see that what I feel and what I'm seeing and what I want to do is backed up by the people that I meet on the other side of that door. It's very, very rare that uh, that I run into somebody who who is not looking for someone to just go and pick up the mantle and fight and get this place back on track. Yeah, which has definitely been the focal point of your uh your entire campaign, you've promoted America first values and Trump era policy since pretty much day one. You were a huge supporter of the president and everything that he did within his years uh, while he uh, occupied the Oval Office. And, and you've rolled that out into an amazing campaign, which you guys are doing great in right now. What uh, are some of the things that uh, you're looking for between now and when the primary is? Are you guys having any kind of debate down there? Well, we, we do. We've got a debate coming up uh, this Sunday morning. It'll be pre-recorded. I'm not sure when they'll release it. Uh, but that's the uh, Atlanta Press Club. And, you know, it's not uh, the most conservative group of, of people that will be uh, moderating it. But that, you know, I'm fine with that. That doesn't change who I am or what I'm going to say anyway. So I really don't I don't really mind who's who's moderating debates. But I think that there is one more forum. Um, I can't keep up with a lot of this stuff and a lot of things <laughs> they pack on to my, my schedule as we go. So I try not to to keep looking too far ahead. I just kind of look as the day goes goes on but uh, i think we've got one last forum somewhere up in, in the uh, upper part of this district because you know i know if, if people aren't familiar with this district it's 18 counties yep. and it is a rather large portion uh of land mass in georgia as a matter of fact i think i've put over 
uh, a little over 40,000 miles on my vehicle. I know my campaign managers put 40,000 miles on his vehicle since last June. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a big district uh, for land. And, uh, you know, it's, so we, we've had numerous events throughout the, uh, the district just so that people can get to know us. Because, you know, this is an open seat. Uh, the current congressman, he's not running for re-election. And uh, so it's an opportunity to people to meet uh, someone who will be new sitting in this seat. Yeah, speaking of which, let's talk about the head-to-head matchup between you and Vernon Jones. Uh, he is definitely an outsider to Georgia 10. He's pretty much an outsider to the great state of Georgia as well. Uh, for some reason or not, he was implanted in there. We touched on it last time you were on. Uh, the poll numbers really didn't reflect that his message is, uh, you know, one that resonates with the people there when it comes down to the kitchen table issues in addition to a lot of the national ones. He seems to be a person that just wants to kind of tow uh, drive-by headlines and, and, and phrases in regards to the America First movement. However, you've been doing this in, in, in for quite a long time, since back before the, the last election and even beyond that. Um what are some of the things contrastedly that, that that's going to separate you guys at the finish line right here when let's just say you guys get up to the debate table and people are heading to the ballot box that they know they can trust in Mike Collins that they're definitely not going to get with Vernon Jones? You know, and, and I want to say this honestly, I, and, and since Vernon Jones has got and, and Vernon Jones is nothing but a corrupt Democrat who doesn't live in this district, has never lived in this district. He is from DeKalb County, Georgia. Yep. And the people of the 10th district know what he did to DeKalb County. And if anybody wants the 10th district to look like DeKalb County, go up there and look and see what it looks like. And they don't want any part of that. Everybody that I've talked to, with the exception of one person, and, and I told you how many doors we knock on. We knock on a ton of them a day. They don't want anything to do with this guy because they see right through him. He, he, he has fleeced the entire Democrat Party to the point to where there's no more Democrats left one to fleece. <laughs> you, you talk about someone that you want to contrast the two of us. Number one, I've been the chairman of the Republican Party here in my local county for over seven years. I have been a registered Republican my entire life. And yes, I voted in the Republican presidential primary this last time around. Vernon Jones has been a Democrat and an outspoken abortion Democrat all the way up through the Georgia vote for the uh, heartbeat bill, which was in 2020. It's barely been a year and a half ago. He actually, even though he claims he came out in support of Trump in 2021, uh, this joker voted in the Democrat presidential primary. Now, I, I don't know whether he voted for Biden, Kamala, or Bernie. I really don't care. But when you, when you couple that and you find out that the guy is using a consultant today in the race that he's running in for this district, one of his consultants that he's paid thousands of dollars to was a former member of the Georgia House and is a Democrat who was on probation for three years. Mm. Now, you tell me, where, what kind of consulting are you going to get from a Democrat who served in the Georgia House if you are now a Republican? This guy is a wolf in sheep's clothing, and uh, I'm telling you, people people see right through it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that you know. At the end of the day, it, it's it's so weird the way the the legacy media pick and chooses. You know, everybody wants to go after some of the Trump endorsements. Let's just say, for instance, Doctor Oz, which there are ridiculous red flags. 
in addition to, you know, just some of the things that he's said over the years, all of it's recorded on videotape because he had a television show where he promoted most of these non-America first, non-Trump era policy values in regards to like uh, pro-choice, pro-life, uh, gun laws and stuff like that. You know, Vernon Jones has been a pretty public figure himself. And, and to say for just because someone's going to get a Trump endorsement uh, that they get a free pass, that's not the way that it goes. You know, and it's been our show and several other shows like this that have been absolutely critical of the things that, uh, you know, he's done in the past and the hard work that you've done down there. And we feel like the work that you're doing right now to really get into the faces and shake hands with and sit down with all these people in Georgia 10 is what's going to pay off at the ballot box in just a few weeks here. Um, and is going to get you over the finish line as the, uh, you know, nominee for the general election. It will. And we're going to win this race. And, and, and you know, it, you speak of President Trump, and, and, and I tell people every day, President Trump was probably the best president in my lifetime. Um, I've been in business for 30 years, so I've had the opportunity. Now, I was not old enough to vote for Ronald Reagan, so, uh, I, and I actually started my first business when I was 22, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have had a, a business through all of the, the administrations after that. And, and I can tell you unequivocally that this Trump administration was the best three years before that pandemic hit that I have ever felt. You could tell we had somebody that was pro-business America first in the White House and his entire administration. They were actually helping our industry, which is the trucking industry and the most regulated dead blame industry that there is in this country. And, and I jumped on the Trump campaign way before he was even a nominee. I didn't wait around to see what the tea leaves were and what the, what the, how, which way the wind was blowing. When I heard this guy, Donald Trump, in Atlanta, Georgia, with about 35 to 40 other people in a house, I said, man, this dude is singing my song. And he was. You know, outsider, never been elected, and nothing that, uh, that understood the business world and what we needed to get this place back on track. And uh, I jumped on board right then. And you're right. I have never wavered. I don't even waver today. Donald Trump didn't endorse Vernon Jones for Congress. He endorsed him to get out of the governor's race. And it's my job, Mike Collins, to get rid of him over in the 10th district. Yeah. That's where I'm going to bury him. That's 100% facts. I think head to heads, you guys just, it's, you have an incomparable lead in so many different things, uh, your knowledge base, your experience, how you've already served the Republican Party, all the business aspects of it you bring to it. And, Mike, one of the things we talk on the show, because, you know, we don't get you every week, like some shows like War Room and stuff like that, where I could just call you up and have you on the show in a pinch. We talk about the level of class that you bring to the table. Listen, you've had every opportunity to, to break ranks or, or maybe descend a little bit mm-hmm. from, from, you know, backing away from Trump era policies, but you've actually lived it. You've business has thrived under it and you understand the nature of the game. Uh, some of these things, listen, Donald Trump is in, endorsing over 3,500 people nationwide, everybody from senators and governors and house seats all the way down to like land surveyors and mayors. And the people who are in his ear, it's not like he gets to sit down and read a dossier and every single person out there. And, and you make a lot of sense when you, when you, when you kind of lay it out, how you, you've, just continued to toe the line and, and are doing an amazing job of doing so. And you've rolled it out into an outstanding campaign heading into these uh, early votings in the primary season right now. What are the biggest things that Georgia voters are looking to uh, have you bring to the table and eventually to the beltway in DC? You know what people at the end of the day, if nothing else, if they know nothing else about politics, they're going to vote with their pocketbook. 
They're going to vote with what is happening in their wallet. And, and inflation has gone rampant. Um, you know, gasoline, food, the food shortages, uh, the shelves are still not full of merchandise. And, and that is they're worried. People are worried about what's coming around the corner. Now you've got you've got interest rates ticking up. And, and the, the, the main reason that they're worried, they're worried on, on not just that, but on, on the front of, of, of immigration. But you've got an administration that is actually not doing anything to help the situation. They're still printing money like there's no tomorrow. They're, they're, they act like that uh, there is no problem with the inflation. Um, and, and they've got this porous border uh, that they're, they're, they're letting immigrants just fill into our country, sit down on our side of the, of, the, of the border, and then expect us to start handing out checks to them and taking care of them. And, and, and people are just fed up. They've had enough, and they're scared to death, and they are looking for true fighters to go up there and stand up and, and join the small group of people that we've got up there because you're not going to just fight the Democrats with this thing now. I mean, you got Republicans up there that like to spend your money just as bad as a Democrat does. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so you better have some true blue warriors that are willing to go up there and just put it all on the line and say, I'm here. This is what I came for. And this is what I'm going to do. And when I get through, then I'm going back home to Georgia. Yeah. You definitely got those, those servant vibes really looking to, uh, represent the people of your district and, and go in there and do the job that we need to get done right now. I know you touched on the border in addition to inflation and stuff like that. You know, the economy's out of control. Gas prices, I'm sure, with your trucking company are absolutely killing people right now. And then I just saw it was breaking across the Twitter wire, as, as you were mentioning, the southern border. Uh, DPS in Texas put out a comparative analysis of, of research they've been able to do since the Biden administration took over. Their estimates are saying that the cartels in Mexico, you know, in, in addition – or um, including all the human trafficking that's going on right now, $100 million a week is what the cartels are making to funnel people into our country. Mm. And it's just absolutely uh, and I believe it. Yeah. But it, and it's not just, it's just not human trafficking or, or funneling people across. It's the amount of drugs that they're pushing across here. Yeah. Too. Yes. Um, you know, we, we just recorded a huge bust. <clears throat> our little county here sits right on one of the, the main corridors, I-75. And, uh, and our sheriff here just had a huge bust of marijuana that was coming through. So the, the amount of drug trafficking that is coming across that southern border is incredible. But when, when I talk about, and I know people, y'all probably think I'm like a broken record, but our immigration invasion is not just that southern border. Nope. Our immigration invasion has to do with China. And if we don't stop China, by God, I can assure you, this won't be long and we're going to be speaking Chinese and eating with chopsticks. We have got to get our manufacturing back to the United States. And there's two ways you do that. One way you do that is by getting, you put a, a moratorium on immigration all the way around. Not only you stop that Southern border, but you stop these folks coming into our country, taking our jobs at half price, and then taking that technology back home yep. and producing the same good and send it back over here cheaper. And then you bring your, your manufacturing back to the States by getting rid of some of these crazy regulations and these hard taxes that are forcing them to go overseas. I guarantee you, people want to manufacture here in the United States. They just cannot afford to do it. And you take somebody like me that I, I may not know every regulation that is affecting you or your industry, but I can assure you when you come in with a regulation problem to my office, 
I felt it. I have felt how bad regulation has destroyed the trucking industry. And I'll be glad to take that man up. And I'll be glad to fight the bureaucrats in D.C. and get them back under control because they answer to nobody. And we nope. got to stop that mess. Yeah, it's definitely candidates like you are going to come in there and uh, kind of put a little bit of a reverse regulation on everything and start to lock them down and have them actually working for, you know, the American people like they haven't done for so long. Mike, we want to be able to direct as much traffic as we can. This is a critical time for your campaign. While you're out there doing the groundwork, our national listening audience is, has been educated to a T. Everyone from Matt Brainerd and, and people from all over the influencer spectrum that have come in and say, stop donating to the establishment GOP. Stop sending stuff to the RNC. Find candidates who are America first that resonate with you and help support their campaign. So by the time November comes, we can get them over to the finish line and start fixing the problems in this country. So anywhere across social media that you want to uh, let our listening audience find you at, plus your uh, campaign website. Yeah, you can go to MikeCollinsGA.com. That's our website. And uh, you can use that MikeCollinsGA and you can float across all the social media platforms. And we're on all of them and uh, get more information about us. Certainly, we need your help. You know, unfortunately, these campaigns now are just so deadline expensive. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I, I could I, I could use your help. Uh, you know what? I could use your thoughts, uh, prayers, any issues, anything that you have that you think that we might be of concern to you that we need to know about. I don't care if you're in the 10th district or not. Uh, we'd like to hear it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can use Mike Collins, GA, boom, go across and find us and uh, help us out. Not a problem. We'll be live linking those in the show description today. We wish you the best of luck in the next few weeks in early voting in the primaries. And Mike, as soon as you are crossing that finish line and are the nominee that's going to represent Georgia 10 in the midterm elections, we'll be sure to invite you back. Hey, I look forward to it. And I appreciate y'all giving me time. Sure do. Thank you. You're always welcome here. This is the America First Always candidate looking to represent Georgia 10 in the upcoming midterm elections. Mr. Mike Collins, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Hey, thank you. Mighty fine way to start the week, No, What do you think? Yep. Minor edits. Super long edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. You're welcome. And uh, it is now pregnant with a lot of America First candidates, to say the very least. Uh. There you go. Guys, don't forget to download the show. Check it out across every major podcasting platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podaddict, Podbeans, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now via the Patriot Podcast Network on Roku TV. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Please leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Go to all of our amazing guests today. Senatorial candidate out of Arizona, Mr. Blake Masters. Senatorial candidate out of Arkansas, Jake Biquette. Claire Worth, who's running in Kentucky 4, primary challenger to Representative Thomas Massey, and, of course, one of our favorites, True America First campaigns. We can't say it enough. He's one of the greats out there. Mr. Mike Collins looking to run in Georgia 10 and send Vernon Jones back to the Democratic Party. In addition to him, we have all of our uh, Internet friends. We like to mention Cagbro88, the Patriotic Babe Counts, Mr. Garbaggio of all of his, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman of Newsmax, Christina Bob of Save America and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live. Steak for Breakfast Partners are our great friends. The only thing you do by going and spend some money at the places that we mention is you help make small American businesses great again. First and most foremost, Mike Lindell, Apparatus, My Pillow Family, Humble Pillow Farmer, Pillow King of Minnesota, Big Big Savings, when you enter promo code STEAK at checkout. Big deals right now, free shipping, free gifts, 
MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. We can talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey. All things headphone related and more. They've got some bunch of stuff in development. I've heard just a rumor that's going to change up a lot of the recording industry in regards to in-studio stuff. But get those ears taken care of. They are the top tier of ear gear. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. What are we putting on it this week? Uh, Joe Biden's dignity. It'll be an invisible one. We, yep. could, we could put the stepbrothers on there reenacting the uh, sweet child of mine part. Yep. Which we may be hearing in a few minutes right here. Stayreadygear.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Because if you uh, buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, slow cook it, pull it out, pull it apart, drizzle on some barbecue sauce, throw it in your mouth, num, num, num. Can't go wrong. Manrubs.com, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. He's got a really simple equation to get all your gun needs and more taken care of. Firearms, parts, accessories, most importantly, ammo. Easy to use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com, via the telephone, 619-870, or hit them up on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. They love it. They love their IG a little bit more. Mediocremedic.com is the website. And finally, last but certainly not least, home of the zero fuck stuck. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday down at dumpbox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Support our partners. Upcoming shows. This one was pretty amazing. Can't get much more America first than it was until we get to Friday when we got another banger. Fewer guests. Noah's probably happy for that one. Coming back for round five. Looking to represent Washington 3 in the midterm elections. Mr. Joe Kent, great friend of the show. Senatorial candidate. One of the guys who could flip the balance of power in the Senate right now. We're in the great state of Georgia. Former NFL pro athlete, Mr. Herschel Walker. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of crap. Everything from Elon Musk, uh, possible impeachments for Joe Biden, what's going on with Russiagate and Hillary Clinton, etc. With Newsmax contributor and constitutional attorney, Amir Benno. Next week, we're jumping right back into it on the America First agenda. On Tuesday, we'll be sitting down with Luna Lopez, who's running in Florida 4, and Jim Bognett is circling back, looking to represent Pennsylvania 8. Next Friday, we got a pretty good one. Former Trump administration official Paige Wiley, current host of This Is Your Country podcast, is going to be in for an interview. We're going to talk to her about her time in the administration and the midterms, etc. And then we're going to do the news with one of our favorites, former New York 24 candidate, and current transitioning to Space Force officer, Mr. Andrew McCarthy. On the 10th of May, we're going to have a pretty uh, former Trump administration-themed edition. Boris Epstein of the War Room Posse will be joining us. In addition to him, George Papadopoulos will be sitting down with us as well. From the apparatus itself? Ding, ding, ding. This is a serious show. You better stop. Mm. I haven't locked in the date yet, but I'm in uh, final, we'll call it negotiations for either the 13th or 17th of May. One of those dates will have Cash Patel. Nice. As we set up Cash Patel next, Amanda Milius follows him, and then we'll have Milius Patel too. Oh, I like it. You got to think of a sub name for that one though. Mm-hmm. And then on the 20th of May, we're going to have our great friend Christina Bob back with us. Friends of the week. Not far out. Help me out with that. Uh, Thor 4 meme yesterday about all of our old Twitter accounts. Hugh White memes, of course. Truth on Draft 2.0. Big F for Sublime and Slime's Twitter got nuked yesterday. Oh. What I mean to say, Edward Russell, the Duke of Memes, John Hacker LA, 
grand old memes, Midnight Mitch, Puberto's 2.0, mostly peaceful memes, back to his original throwing the Molotov cocktail. Don't think we see you. Don't think we saw it, but we did. Dumbass Photoshop, Madam America, reactivate your Instagram account. You made news meek last week. Silent Meme Jordy, Tyler Time Lord, Snack Thickelson, Hispanics for DeSantis, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Four guests, one guest host, three big news segments. Takes a lot of research. Number two, start your own podcast. Doubt any of you will, but uh, if you ever want to have something that consumes the entirety of your life, especially if you want to do politics, start a podcast. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 129 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the pod team, who will be back on Friday with episode 130 featuring Joe Kent... Herschel Walker and Amir Benno. I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tommy, you're the oldest. I'm counting on you. Come on. She's got eyes of the bluest skies as if they thought of rain. I hate to look into those eyes and see an oh, Nice vibrato, buddy. All right, all right. Alice, let's go. reminds me of a warm, safe It's so flat. I can't even, I don't even know. You don't even look good while you're singing. The worst thing I've ever heard. This is $1,200 a week for voice lessons, and this is what I get? Okay, I'm going to save it with the solo. Bow, bow, I'm dead. And I can sing high like this. And I can sing high Jesus! Oh, 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 sweet love.